Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Before the rocket carrying Krypton's last hope, before the kindly couple, before the great metropolitan newspaper, there was the world that gave birth to the universe's greatest hero. Now, in Doomed Planet, we consider Krypton's history, legacy, and destruction, and the part of it that survived. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the new Krypton arc from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, is the host of Lois and Clark, The New Podcast of Superman, as well as Always Hold On to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Welcome back, Matt Truix. Thank you. I'm sorry that all my podcasts make you say so many words before you can get to my name, but thank you, man. It's so good to be back here. Listen, my shows are Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey, and another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. So You're right. I'm in good company. <laughs> I'm in very good company. <laughs> so it's all good. Welcome back. I'm always happy to have you here to talk Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And you're the guy, so who better better to have than you? <laughs> That's an amazing thing to me that I'm the guy for that. But like, truly, I am so thankful that your podcast that dives so deep into into the uh, like the greater Superman lore has spent so much time with, with Lois and Clark. And like, you know, the, you you were a fan that that acknowledges and appreciates it. And that that that's very cool to me. You know, I have to say so. Thus far, my wife and I, we did a run of Patreon episodes where we looked at season one of Lois and Clark, but on the right. show proper. You and I did an episode on Tempest, the villain Tempest, mm -hmm. and all of his appearances on the show. Mm -hmm. And Tyler from Krypton Report, he came on and we did an episode all about the frog-eating clone arc from <laughs> season three. Which is an excellent episode, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was interesting to revisit. And, and of course, now we're here to talk about this new Krypton arc. But I got to say, when I first started with this podcast, I didn't know how much of a presence Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, would have. It's something that... I watched as a kid. I've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I was six to 10 when it originally aired. And I have vague memories of watching it, but not unlike yourself, it was really when it was airing in syndication on TNT. That's, that's more, I think, the viewing that cemented itself more in my head. Mm -hmm. And I always had affection and nostalgia for it, but I probably, in the years since, kind of fell into that camp of, listen, it was limited in terms of what it could bring forth on screen and, and a little dated, a little campy and all of that. And I was probably dismissive is maybe too strong of a word, but generally speaking, that probably characterized the way I looked at the show sure. foolishly, because now that I've gone back to it over the past few years of doing this podcast, I come away with such a newfound respect 
and appreciation for this show in so many ways. So I'm always happy now to take the opportunity to talk about it. And it just celebrated its 30th anniversary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just a couple months ago. No, I totally get that. It's funny. I was listening. Um, uh, I'm, I ha- there's a reason, um, but I was listening to an uh, episode from season two of my podcast the other day. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm not super in love with it here. And I like I've always loved the show, but I'm like, I'm still like kind of um, and my co-host at the time was is uh, part of that energy but um i'm still kind of like making fun of it and apologizing for it whereas like truly as it went on as as i did like the podcast i i just like all of my kind of cynicism for it really just rubbed off and i was like nope just shut up you like it there are some weird things here there's some stuff i absolutely detest but at the at the heart of it it is like my comfort food show you know no, listen, I totally hear you. And I'll, I was really thinking about this uh, in advance of our recording. And I think there are two things that have that have made me fall in love with the show uh, in a way that I hadn't before. Number one is that, look, as an adult who's married, right, I can appreciate all of the relationship drama in a way that I didn't and just couldn't as a little kid yep. watching this. Yep. I enjoyed I it, right? And some of it resonated, but it wasn't They should anything. be together and kiss, but that was about it, yeah. Yeah, so I watch all of this now with new eyes and a completely different perspective. And the other thing, and this is what really kind of clicked a lot into place for me, is over these past few years of doing the podcast, I have been immersed in all of these Superman stories across time and media. And I think (laughs) the beauty of that is I don't need any one thing that I'm consuming to be everything for me. So I think if you look at Lois and Clark in in an absolute vacuum, Yeah, you might come away saying, oh, I want more comic book elements. I want more action. I want more special effects, whatever the case may be. I don't need that. I get that elsewhere. So I can look at this and be like, no, I really just want to see the relationship stuff. Mm -hmm. And the show has it in spades. And so it really scratches that itch and it it fills that that role beautifully. And it's funny that we're talking about like all this right now where it's like we're about to cover it's the show's best attempt at like giving you a blockbuster, you know? (laughs) Yes. So let me lay it out here for our audience. So this is the new Krypton arc. So the last two episodes of season three, Through Mm -hmm. a Glass Darkly and Big Girls Don't Fly from May 1996. And then the first two episodes of season four, Lord of the Flies and Battleground Earth from September 1996. So this four episode new Krypton arc where Clark discovers that there's this lost colony of Kryptonians out there. And he has been not just promised to marry, but actually already wed to Lady yes, Zara. And he's wed, yes. being summoned to New Krypton to, to fulfill this role uh, in Kryptonian society and stave off this civil war uh, that's being instigated by the nefarious Lord Noor. Lord Noor. This was a, this is a big arc, man. It is. It's, uh, I'm, I'm so curious to see your take on it as you've been living through um kryptonian you know <laughs> versions the the past couple weeks um to to me it is so like its own thing but i like it's um but it's still it's it's very much like big space opera through this show's filter which is frankly to make it a little more medieval and make it a little more about um weddings and noble houses and relationships and and like that's the drama here it's interesting 
It is. It really is. And I, I'll say this. So we're in the middle of this doomed planet event here. We looked at the mm -hmm. the entire Krypton TV series. We looked at a selection awesome. of pre-crisis Candor comic book stories. And after this episode, we are going to look at the new Krypton saga from the comics, from the late mm -hmm. aughts, right? And I'll be honest, when I was first mapping out this event, I didn't initially have a spot for Lois and Clark. And... As I was seeing how it was taking shape, I was like, no, we, I think this is an important kind of bridge because when we get to that new Krypton arc, it's all about Kandor being restored to full size and, and Clark right. being torn between these two worlds. But in before we got that, we had this arc <laughs> on the show. Plus, I just wanted another opportunity to, to, to sit down and chat with you. And I was like, this'll, this'll, this'll do. And not have to jump through time on the Wave Rider to do it. I totally understand. <laughs> But I want to, before, you know, we'll unpack everything as, as we always do, but I want to ask you, because you've covered all of these episodes individually on your podcast, and mm -hmm. you did an ARC Talk episode <laughs> with Krypton Sites' Craig Byrne, which we were talking about off mic, uh, where you did what we're about to do here, where you look at these four episodes as a whole. So you've spent a lot of time with this ARC over the years, and I guess I'm just curious, with this viewing of it, what if anything changed for you? Was there anything where your opinion improved or soured? Did you pick up on something you you didn't previously? What yeah. if anything was different this time around? So I, I watched them all uh, more or less in in one sitting this time, which I've never done before. And and kind of the 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 arc and the I, I've been watching a lot of Lois and Clark right now anyway because it's it, this is what I do in. September, October, November, like this is the mood that I get in and, and I jump into that. But watching it, watching all four of them just as one big thing, it struck me like how much they are trying. They are trying to wow you with with big special effects and big emotions and big moves here. And and the episodes uh, that don't have the big special effect thing will have the big emotional turn and vice versa. Um, so I, I'd like... Honestly, I guess it's I guess it's kind of like if you want to talk about it like this, it's kind of two movies. It's it's like Emperor Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, essentially. But in that way, like that was the first time that I've kind of been struck by that um, of just like how well it all kind of sings together and feels oddly of a piece for the show that didn't specialize in serial storytelling or continuity from time to time. You know? Yeah, I have to say, and I I wish I had. It's weird. I wish I had more of a memory of watching this when it originally aired. Mm. I, I remember it, I guess, just more in broad strokes. I definitely, if nothing else, I do remember feeling like, wow, that was epic, right? And uh -huh. I even watching it now, I still have that sense, but especially as a kid and without everything else that we've had to watch since then, you know, really just looking at it through young eyes at that time, I think they really, <laughs> they really achieved a lot. So I think my main memories were just Wow, that was cool. The black suit, which again, I still mm. have the same reaction to. And the the alien assassin Tez as a yes. kid creeped me the hell out. <laughs> now, not so much, but as a kid, and there's that scene in the second episode in the arc when he sneaks up on Lois in that like back area of, of the uh, Daily Planet. Yeah. That we've never really seen before, yes. And I remember as a kid, like <laughs> it really did freak me out a little bit. So those were I think the main That's things cool. that you know, that I kind of remembered of it, but watching it now, and I messaged you about this, I was just so impressed. I feel like they were firing on all cylinders. Yep. I, I agree. I mean, there was a, there was an ambition and a scope to this. The stakes were so high 
plot wise, but in terms of the emotion as well. Mm-hmm. And I, so I just kind of feel like this this kind of brought together a lot of the different forces and components of the show because you have these two star-crossed lovers literally here, right? Who are being kept <laughs> apart, hot on the heels of the frog eating clone arc where they were kept apart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Touch on that. Let's talk about that in context of the show. Yes. But yeah, continue. You know, but so you have that, you have the Smallville piece, the Metropolis piece, the Krypton piece. And I think that's that's particularly fascinating here because this was a show really focused on on Clark. Clark is who he is, focusing on mm-hmm. the human side, very much in keeping with the John Byrne reboot and the triangle yeah. era of the comics that I grew up with. So I always felt right at home watching Lois and Clark. But so to now, not introduce, because we had dealt with some Kryptonian business before, but not a lot. So it's like now to really <laughs> to really kind of bring that back and, and have him be torn between these two worlds I just thought it was fascinating. I feel like it was just so many different aspects of the show coming together with a scale and stakes you really haven't seen otherwise in the show. And yep. I just, I was so, so impressed. Like I so enjoyed watching these. I watched them over two nights and I just had the best time. I love this conversation. So this is going very well. Um, the, let, let's, let's put that in context then for a little bit too. You mentioned the frog eating clone arc, which obviously you've done an episode on. But basically, they had a wedding that didn't happen, and then they extended that arc by giving her amnesia for two episodes. Two episodes that are two of the most hated and derided episodes of this entire show. It was a complete misfire. If you look at the ratings at that time, it is is like a steep decline where people are just like, what the hell with this at this point? So, and, and like, who knows when they're actually planning, you know, the, the, the early days of what the first two episodes, you know, the end of season three became. But for me, it very much feels like, look, we did our big wedding stunt. We then pissed off the fans. We have to win them back. So, you know, end of season three is table setting. And they knew that they'd have to deliver something really big for the start of season four, Um, which is why you're saying like kind of everyone stepping their game up and start of season four. This is a show that shot almost exclusively on the Warner Brothers lot. Like they never went on location and still it feels pretty grand. You've got their their big Krypton sets. You've got a live orchestra for the music uh, for the first time since the pilot. Like they're, they're really pushing and going for it um, in order to kind of win the fans back. And it works for a second and then season four, you know, goes off. But, it, but as far as like what I think they wanted to accomplish with these episodes... I think they kind of knock it out of the park. And we're talking about it like it is Empire Strikes Back. It's not. It's still Lois and Clark, but it's Lois and Clark uh, um, operating and and working at like its fullest potential. Yes, I think that that's fair. So for anyone listening to this, it's like, yeah, I do think, well, and I think this is a little bit debatable too, because whether or not, well, let me just ask you, do, do, do you feel like this yeah. represents the pinnacle of the show Pinnacle or typical? Like, Pinnacle, maybe just because it is, like, the, everyone is is truly trying their hearts out, you know, here. The only thing that's not working up to its full potential is Terry Hatcher's wig. Um, <laughs> but the, the rest of everybody is doing, well, it's not a typical episode of Lois and Clark in any way whatsoever. You know, I think you'd have to look at some of the standalone stuff to kind of show, like, what the show could do at its, at its best you know, average day. But this is this is with a little more time, a little more money, a little more patience. 
I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but like I think it's almost a different, you have to grade on a different curve for these. That's fair. And our, our mutual friend, Rob O'Connor, who I know is a, is a fellow folk, uh, he mm-hmm. made a similar point on social media where uh, kind of t- exactly to what you were saying, where, no, this is not typical. It's not representative of the average Lois right. and Clark. If this was episode. your first episode of Lois and Clark, you're going to be disappointed with a lot of other Lois and Clark, you know? <laughs> but what I would say, for me, I think what was what was representative were the themes and the relationship between the two of them, the love that they have, the devotion, the lengths that they would go to for each other, the influence of Jonathan and Martha, what they've done for him, what they mean for him, what he means to the world. Like there's so much thematically. Uh, and I guess that's yeah. when I say the pinnacle of the show. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 what would I really consider the best of Lois and Clark? I probably would gravitate towards maybe some of my favorite season one episodes. And then probably that, mid to end of season two and very beginning of season three. Like that's probably in in my heart. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the Mm -hmm. the sweet spot for me, but, uh, but again here, I feel like, yeah, you have the, the scale and the stakes and the ambition coupled with the thematics that I really do feel are representative of the rest of it. So for me, I do kind of look at this as like, I don't know. I feel like if someone hadn't watched Lois and Clark, or hadn't watched in a while. <laughs> I agree. If you were looking to show them something that would give them a feel of the entire series, maybe not. Right. But at the same time, if they were like, listen, I'm only going to watch a few episodes, I might show them these. Yeah. Here's the pilot, you know, and then here's these two other movies that they did at some point in here. Yeah. No, I totally, I, I get what you mean with that. And there is like, it is, it is unabashedly Lois and Clark in the themes of this. And that's why I kind of talked to like, I'd love to get your take on like, what is your favorite Krypton? But like, I, I, Lois and Clark is my favorite Superman. I don't think this is my favorite Krypton. This whole like house of nobles and blah, blah, blah. Um, and we must be wed as children in order to stave off the, the civil wars or whatever. Um, but does it work for the Lois and, or the Superman story that is at its core, a rom-com or a soap opera, depending on the day? Absolutely. And does do all of these characters feel on model and nobody's like, you know, feels like they're being stretched? Absolutely. In in the best way. And, you know, when you say rom-com, I was thinking about this too. And I know that, you know, you've, you've talked about this a lot, you know, who the, the intended audience was for yeah. this. And I think about my mom, like my mom watched Lois mm-hmm. and Clark pretty much all the way through. She's actually, she has been watching Superman and Lois. So there, there are okay. other examples, but until very recently, right? Lois and Clark, like she watched a little bit of the George Reeve show when she was a kid and she saw sure. Superman the movie as everyone did when it came out at the time. And she did like a little Smallville when I was watching it uh, originally. But like, Lois and Clark, that was the show she watched. And I feel like this arc in particular, it has, I feel like they walked a fine line because there's enough, again, you get the black suit and you get their their take on a, on a, on a Zod-esque character in the form. We'll of get to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and we have our, our space station and, you know, there's, there's all of those, 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 those bigger uh, set pieces and, and concepts. I, I, and all whatever. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you still have that, uh, you know, the sweeping romance between the two of them, between Lois and Clark, especially when they're separated. And, and I agree. I feel like the last two of season three and the first two seasons, but they do feel like, like, like two, like a two part movie, right. Where you have mm-hmm. the first part, Really, I feel more of the the emotion, right? As Clark is weighing whether or not to leave Earth 
and of course ultimately decides to and it's it's a heartbreaking farewell and then and then you get into all of this business where he has to come back and he's got to fight lord norris taking over smallville and so it rocks it rocks so hard yeah it really does man i at the same time i'm like i don't want to oversell this too <laughs> too much for anyone. i know we've caveated i think we, we can be yeah yeah. But yes, I, I I totally feel that kind of push and pull of like it still looks dark. Um <laughs> but yeah, I I love how it escalates here. And you're talking about like the emotions and stuff, like the way that they do not ignore anyone's feelings here, and they don't make it would be so easy to make Lois the bitch here, to make Lois the one that like does not want this to happen. And of course, at first they do because Terry Hatcher is a gifted comedian and, and they can play off those like, well, oh, you're married on Krypton. We're not on Krypton though, are we? You know, us wacky earth women and that type of thing. And it's really fun. And then once the seriousness of it hits in, it is lovely. And the two of them are heartbroken and they're making the sacrifice. And the Kents have this beautiful speech about marching for civil rights and it being their fight. Is this your fight, son? It just like... It feels so real and and uh, emotionally, you know, it's all wacky and stupid, but it, we're talking about Superman. It's always going to be wacky and stupid. But like, if you can make something like that feel emotional, then you're doing your job right. And that's that's what this show does on its on its best days. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I'm going to sound like a weepy mess to the audience because this is now the third time within the six part event that I said this. <laughs> I teared up. I teared up when he's saying goodbye to Jonathan and Martha and Lois, but especially the scene, the, the moment with Jonathan and Martha yep. and the Daily Planet in the office when he says, you're the only parents I've ever known, the only parents I've ever wanted, and any good that I can bring to New Krypton is because of you. Oh. I'm on. It, oh, and even, oh God, even just the quiet moments where they, they've kind of had that that talk I was just talking about with the, the civil rights is this your fight with the Kents. And that's really the kind of come to Jesus moment for the two of them. And there's no dialogue in the next shot, but she's out on his balcony and she's looking in at him sitting alone in his kitchen and they both just lock eyes. And it's just that moment of like, oh, fuck, they both know that this has to happen. Like they both just decided silently and and that's what it's going to be. And then they go to to the new Kryptonians and are just basically like, we decided that he's he's gonna go like we stand together in this decision. It's it's awesome, man. It really is. So maybe let's let's circle back. Look, we got right into this. I'm all for Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, look, the personal, the emotional, that's always I think what's what's most important at the end, at the end of the day. But let's jump back to the beginning of this arc here. Because yes. we have this initial setup episode. Yeah, because it starts awesome. Yeah. Yeah, where we have the characters we will come to know as Lady Zara and Lieutenant Ching. Mm -hmm. uh, but we initially meet them as Sarah, the new researcher at the Daily Planet, and Dave Miller, real estate agent. Dave Miller, thank you. Oh, my God. Nicely done. <laughs> Which also I have to say, because, again, I listened to the episode that you did. I watched, oh, I watched these. What did I say? I, no, no, no. I watched these just okay. you know, a, a night apart and... I did not realize until probably the fourth episode that they had swapped out actors <laughs> <laughs> playing Lieutenant Ching because I I you know I knew I knew the business about so the the first actor who played him at the end of season three was John Tenney and was married to to Terry Hatcher at the then time. husband of Terry Hatcher yeah. then then husband and I, maybe I had that swirling in my head and I it just it sent me to IMDb to just to, to double check and I'm not seeing him there in, in 
this? And I was like, and then I went back to the the credits for season three, and he's listed in that first episode just as Dave Miller. And then I'm getting so confused. I'm like, wait a minute, did we meet the real Dave Miller? I was so confused. And then I and then I realized. So uh, great job, that I have to say, the recasting was great. Look, they've done it twice on this show, you know, in in very high profile ways. It's funny because truly in this the season four episodes when they've recast him, his character takes a back seat and takes the back of frame. And it's just like as little as we can focus on this man's face, the poor actor, the better. I know. I know it's true. But, but in any event, so we, we meet these two mystery characters and over the course of part one of this four part arc, they are putting Superman through various tests. They sabotage a Mm -hmm. space station. Uh, They plant a bomb Amazing. They, yeah, they they put uh, Jimmy and this and Perry and the city in danger, and, and Clark has to choose who he's going to save. Yeah. And of course, the answer is, as it always is, save everybody. Because of, co- of yeah, course. of course. But it's cool. Like I, I like just the thematic, or the, I, I guess story wise, how they kind of break up. Because because like Ching is a bastard in this first episode. He is the villain of the story until at the end you realize, oh, they're Kryptonian, and that kind of changes things. But um, but the first one is just about might, right? Like, can can this guy actually stop a space giant ass, very cool model of a space station from crashing into Earth? And he does it. The second one is about is he's, he becomes the Riddler suddenly, and it's like, oh well, if you go north on the, I forget what exactly what it is, but it's all about like uh, movies and symphonies and stuff, and he, and he saves the day again. And then the second one is like, all right, where's your heart lie? Can can you can you will you save you know your friends will you save the city of course it's both and then the the third one or the fourth one is how good a person are you if I the asshole that's been been messing with you am going to kill myself and you have to jump through kryptonite to do it to stop me will you try to stop me and of course he does so it's just like and that is the moment where like Ching melts and is like oh you're you're a better person than I thought okay you're right you're good and then they fly off it's awesome. I agree, man. I love how I love how they challenged him in those different ways, and yeah, and I, it gets to the core of the character too. And I, I really appreciated when when Clark was saving the space station that he was struggling, right? And even mm-hmm. when he comes back to the planet later, he's rubbing his shoulder. It's a it's, little like, ow, yeah, yeah, because this is not the omnipotent Superman that maybe we've seen in in prior incarnations, right? Again, this era very much scale down the powers a bit, make him sweat a little bit more. Not unlike yeah. what we would see in Superman the animated series and elsewhere. And I, I was like going to say he's he's less nerfed than he is in that, but it, he's still like you know he's not he's not lassoing a son. Yeah, so I I really thought that was cool. the The bit where he has to choose between saving uh, Jimmy and Perry, who are off on their <laughs> fishing trip, which. Uh, I know you made a joke about that when, when in your episode, but that's like right out of, I mean, I'm sure there've been other instances, but uh, the George Reeves adventures of Superman. There's a, sure. at least one episode in the first season where they're just off on a, on a fishing trip. But at least I have to say in the adventures of Superman show that Perry was a real hard ass and was really, he had some moments where you saw a little bit of a softer side come through, but he was yeah. nowhere near the father figure that Lane Smith's Perry is. And so yeah. this camping, this fishing trip made a lot more sense. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course I could buy that these guys would be off having this, having this trip. 
Uh, I will say though, you know, the Lo- Lois gives him the idea. She's like, he can't split himself into two, right? So of course oh. that gives him the idea. Wait a minute, somebody had a split in two device earlier this episode. Let me go grab that. Yeah. And I'm I'm being facetious and nitpicky here, but it's like the way you know he flies up into the sky and it's like oh. he's like just eyeballing this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's able to split his heat vision into and to take care of the bomb where Perry and Jimmy are and in the city. And it's just like, all right, I'll go with it. He doesn't even more asinine one in the in like mid season four where he throws a shard of mirror up into space, lasers the mirror and the mirror like, you know, it reflects his laser and and blows up the bomb or whatever, wherever it has to. But it's like, oh, this guy, his mental math is incredible. So I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I, I agree with you in that instance. But I feel like. In, in, in numerous other scenes, especially as we get into season four, when he's when he's trying to learn the Kryptonian customs, boy, mm. boy, does he really seem to struggle. Uh, I know I'm skipping. I know. I know I'm skipping ahead a bit, but they're explaining like, okay, you you know, Zara's got to walk a few paces behind you, and you have to walk with your palms facing up and say, "Brother, I greet you thrice." And he's like, he can't. He's like really struggling to keep up with this, and it's like, <laughs> come on, man, you're Superman, and not only are you Superman, you're a Clark Kent who's traveled the world. You have met yeah. all of these cultures. I'm sure you've encountered customs along these lines before it's like you gotta get get with it a you little know bit. all the other different languages and stuff i do i'm honestly i hear what you're saying i'm gonna put that on zara and ching it is like as shit's happening they're like feeding him lines and telling him what's gonna happen and it's like what the hell like as they're walking down the aisle she's like oh by the way there's gonna be a wedding it's like what what why why yeah, okay what do i do fair enough no that is that's fair. on them they had a whole little weird orby ship flight where they could have been laying this stuff out for him indeed indeed i will also say that and again in this first episode so we still don't know we don't know their kryptonians and to the show's credit i guess this cuts both ways and i I, i'm a little bit mixed on this but they communicate ching and zara via telepathy right and we this is the biggie okay you know and we'll learn right (laughs) in the next episode when they communicate clark where they communicate with clark uh through this means and they're like this is how the kryptonian people communicate with each other uh, and, you know, the, the chairs and the orb are materializing. Like there's, there are things, it, it really isn't until we get to the end of that first episode and they fly off and you're like, oh. Oh, hell. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. So I guess I kind of, the, the other powers and things like that, it's like it, it, it does, it does keep you guessing. But then when you know they're Kryptonian, it's like, oh, okay. So we're introducing this. I, I, I remain a bit mixed on, uh, on that side of it. I do too. Like I, I don't have a strong opinion on the the mental telepathy thing. Though I do like the gimmick of like you've never known about this power because there's never been anyone on the other line. You know, I th- I think that makes sense. Whereas, um, I don't know. It, it also feels just a little bit story wise easy for them. Like it's a cool alien thing, you know, theoretically, and we don't have to explain why we're getting to him or whatnot it does make me think like well you could have done like the superman we're coming to you on this frequency that only you and the neighborhood dogs can hear and like that type of thing um i don't know it's it's much cleaner in the later episodes when we've got a bunch of kryptonians and lower the force field of course ladies are well then you know like that type of thing when lord norris is present um, it gets a little bit easier to swallow because it's like, all right, this is just a shortcut to them getting on a conference call, basically. It is. And, and look, I, as much as I have kind of a, a certain power set cemented in my brain 
There have been other powers over the years. And look, on my on my beloved Smallville, right, in season nine, when Clark's undergoing his training and Jor-El gives him the ability to read minds. Like, where the hell is this coming right. from? I forgot about that. Um, that or like, I mean, let's let's be real. The forget me not kiss, the the throwing a cellophane S. Like Kryptonians have pulled a lot of crap like this in the past. So it is just what it is. Um could, like maybe this is no, sorry, I'll I'll save it. No, it's okay. You go for okay. it. Okay. I'm sorry, we're jumping all over it's the place. Fine. But like as you're going through this current um the the Doomed Planet series that you're on, even before this, do you have like a headcanon favorite version of Krypton or is it kind of a mix where you like bits from each one? The, you know, the, the, the Richard Donner vision is so iconic and the whole crystal motif, right? We've seen that in so many places. So it's, it's easy. I think if you say Krypton, that's probably what is going to pop into my head first. But if I really think about it, the, the opening of man of steel, which then really, okay. yeah, which then, of course, you know, we, we just talked about how Krypton was originally meant to be a, a prequel to that, and then they pivoted, and so it doesn't line up, but it still at least takes some cues from that. So I think a that, little bit, yeah, yeah. So I think, like, kind of that Man of Steel, and then I mean, again, I only just watched Krypton, so it's still very fresh, but I, I think that's kind of what I, what I gravitate towards. Are you going towards the whole royal aspect? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, about? I, I, I was kind of just going to ask you if you see that kind of royal aspect of things, this, the more, again, Renaissance fair version of Krypton that we have here at Lowe's and Clark, do you see um, elements of that in other places? Because, like, really, my only other exposure to Krypton before this show, or, like, you know, at the same time of this show, was um, the the movie, but um, the animated series and the the first couple, you know, the the bit that John Byrne deals with it in Man of Steel. Yeah, I have to say that, and, and look, my pre-crisis comics knowledge of Krypton is still relatively limited, so maybe there's something there oh, that would speak same. to it. But totally, yeah. But as far as what we've seen in the modern era, and especially in other media, no, it's it's always been this again more scientific-minded society. Right. Now, again, watching watching the Krypton show, you see the social, the sharp social division, and all this business about the gilded and the rankless. Yeah. So this notion of the theocracy kind of like, and whatever. Yeah, like yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. They start off as this theocracy, then they become this militaristic society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you have at least at the outset this ruling class and this sharp division. So this whole idea of of nobility and the families marrying to keep the peace. Again, it doesn't really line up with kind of what I have in my head as as Krypton. Same. But what I will say, this whole idea of your your life and this come in different forms, but being predetermined, that I feel does track, right? So this whole idea that these yeah. two, they're you know they even refer to Zara as his birth wife, right? <laughs> this idea, yeah. like, not a not a sentence I'm comfortable with. Yes, <laughs> like they're born into these marriages, and so I mean even beyond beyond an arranged marriage it's like they're married right because that's the whole business where it's like below's oh you have to marry her it's like well technically we're already married right he just popped out of the nexus pod or whatever so let's let's try him off and get him over here and (laughs) tie his hand to this other infant and other married so i guess as god forbid he's gay (laughs) well yeah yeah i don't know how i don't know that they i don't know that that Uh, how how advanced is that is that yeah technology on krypton 
but but I think that's what I, I kept going back to. So like this idea that that the L's are this noble family and they're part of this ruling class and their marriage is going to preserve peace and that Clark has been wed to this Lady Zara from the moment of his birth. That that, of that piece of it, does that totally track or line up for me? Is it what I gravitate towards? No, not necessarily. But yeah. again, this idea that there is this fundamental choice that has been taken away from him, that does line up. And that goes back to... Like the version of Krypton that I grew up with from the John Byrne, which is really not my favorite version, but this idea that they're this cold, sterile place that children are right. not even conceived naturally. It's all through this artificial genesis chamber. And then again, you know, moving forward to the Snyder Man of Steel version and Jor-El's whole speech about how everyone's role in society is predetermined. And Kal-El was the first natural birth in generations. And what happens if a child dares to be something different than what society <laughs> intended for him or her, right? That whole, that whole business, that tracked. So again, thematically, it felt in keeping with what I kind of have in my head. Mm -hmm. How about you? No, that's, that's a good point. I'd never thought of it thematically. I've always honestly tripped up on the, um, on, on the, the table setting of it all of, on the, the set dressing, really the, the, um, the noble houses, the, just how high fantasy it all feels and and how how strange it is to me that that's where they took it uh and it all it honestly it's such a left sorry hit the mic honestly it's such a left turn from where you know the comics or anything else that we've seen before is that it it almost feels like a middle finger to dc comics sometimes during this where it's just like all right, you don't want us to do it? Well, we're going to go a completely different version and do our own damn thing and use our own silly names, and it's not going to be anything like what you've done before, you know? Well, that's actually an interesting point because in that John Byrne version where it was this very cold, sterile world, mm -hmm. there's no physical contact between people, right? It's a big deal at the end right. of the first issue or middle of, of the first issue of Man of Steel where Jorel and Lara touch hands. Lara gets there, yeah, exactly. Right, so this idea that here they're they're going to they're going to have their moment to consummate their marriage right that's a, a departure right from what was going on in the comics at the time so yeah it's interesting that you say that we reference the television series Smallville a lot around here and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue always hold on to Smallville hosted by our pal Zach Moore Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight passion and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, aka my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Aw Yeah! I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragon's comic, and read a free sample. Also, Parry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. 
Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, it's it just it, that that is what's what's always struck me. But you're absolutely right, and I, I I love the point that you made about just like it it's in one way or another the the resurgence of Krypton in his life is somehow repressing the life that he wants or like the choices that he wants to make. Yeah, yeah. So I think it tracks. Also, it's funny going back to Man of Steel. Jor-El's flying around on that winged. You know, they're they're flying around on winged creatures, <laughs> big dragon thing. Yeah. And we just we just in the last episode when we looked at those pre-crisis comic stories, there were these white winged creatures as well. And we talked about how that verged on the fantasy realm. So there is, I agree. I mean, I think when we think Krypton, we really do think sci-fi, and and justifiably mm-hmm. so based on what we've seen. But there are these moments where we do see like fantasy elements kind of blending in a bit. So yeah. I don't know that it's as out of left field as, as probably I felt at the time when I was, <laughs> when I was first watching this, <laughs> what I will say, and this maybe is kind of nitpicky. I don't like that lady Zara made it onto the rocket ship, right? That me the, neither too much. Don't like that. I don't like that rocket ship either. The, the, uh, uh, again, uh, uh, Again, this isn't my podcast. I am very <laughs> obsessed with the the first version of that prop of the, the ship that takes into Earth that we see in that show. It was then stolen off the set and they made a quick and dirty version of it for um, the end of season three for the, the second episode we're talking about here. And supposedly on the, you know, the inscription, it which are just, by the way, Celtic runes, like it, like all of a sudden all this alien stuff got a lot more simple. Um but again, it like you're saying, it it's it's literally stating like this is Kal-El, the house of El or whatever. He's married to this other infant. They're gonna be great together. And then they put their hands on it, and Jarrell's like, Yup, it's true. Stay with Zara. It's I'm so glad you guys found each other. Cool, good luck. Very stupid to me. Yeah, that was the bridge to out of all of the things, that was the that was the part where I'm like, no. It just you know what it is though? I think there's something sacred about that it's so that ship is so iconic and yes. this idea in, in every version in every it, it version, is always important yes that rocket when you when you open up all-star superman and you have that beautiful distillation of the origin onto just those few panels and it's the oh, rocket God, it's beautiful it's just yeah. it's iconic and so to sort of muddy it up with all of this business about the the arranged marriage. I didn't love that. What I wanted to say, I guess the last big thing about just that first episode, and we've already hit on a lot of things from the other episodes, but that first episode, the final test where, where Ching has surrounded himself with this kryptonite force field, right? Kryptonite laser force field thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this test about whether or not, uh, you know, Clark will, will, you know, sacrifice himself, will, you know, penetrate the force field in order to, in order to save Ching, who's going to shoot himself, right? Is that the, Mm -hmm. the setup? Yeah, a little gun materializes in his head and he puts it to his, or in his hand and he puts it to his head. It was just interesting to me because I feel like, I'm not saying I'm like Superman, but I like to think that in a lot of ways, I, I, you know, I try to emulate the, the morals and the values that- As we both sit here with an S on our chest. Exactly. Yeah. I, it means something, right? It's not, you know, I, I, the, the lessons I like to think have resonated over the years. At the same time, <laughs> as I'm watching this, I say to myself, well- there is a line that I can draw here because if that were me and someone who had put all of these people in jeopardy, although, right, we find out at least in, in some of the instances, like with the, um, with the space station, it would have saved itself had, had Clark right. not intervened. Although right. I don't think there were similar fail safes with the other, <laughs> with the bombs. This was not good. Yeah. Perry and, and all of Metropolis were gonna die. Yeah. So this is someone who has put, 
put Clark through these tests and has and has put people in in jeopardy. And now the only one who's in jeopardy is this guy himself. And the only way it seems to save him is to, is for Superman to sacrifice himself. That's the point where I would have been like, "All right, buddy, <laughs> suit yourself." Dude, saw him. That is the part where I'm like, "Oh, I'm not Superman." Like the the and it, it's also the part where it's like, you know, obviously there are different versions of the character out there. Some that would be happy to snap his neck with their own two hands in that scene. Um, for me, that is like that is the show doubling down on like this is this is the nicest man that has ever lived that like he truly it's almost the um like superman the humanist thing where like the the most precious thing to him is a life um which i like i'm not sounds like i'm complaining or, or being judgy of i think is lovely but i i am kind of the same way here where it's like i almost want lois to be like mm, i mean you know <laughs> If he does, he does, he's pulling the trigger, Clark. I mean, you don't hurt yourself. You know? Yeah, exactly. I also liked, and clearly, look, they were setting up the the conflict to come, but I did like earlier in that first episode where Lois and Clark are talking about getting married and, of course, how it's been delayed and she just wants to elope and just do it with a few friends and she'll get her wish in a few episodes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Guardian oh, Angel Mike. <laughs> oh, God. Continue, yeah. <laughs> but, but she, you know, they talk about what if, she says, like, oh, imagine if you've never left Smallville. And he's like, Smallville, imagine if I never left Krypton. And then she asks, like, do you ever think about your parents? And he's like, sometimes, but that's in my past. And again, clear setup for what's to come. But I like that there was that that little beat between the two of them. Totally. And it's I feel like it's very true um, to the the experience of, of an adopted child, where it's like that no matter how much you love your Kents who found you in a field, there is always going to be that question of like what happened before. And that, like, that, I, that's just, that seems very honest to me. Um, I, I don't like, um, forgive me if we've talked about this in the past, but like I hate in current versions when like people will call him, e even like other heroes or whatever, will call him Cal. I'm like, he, that is not, he does not identify with that in my mind. Like, it, he knows that that's where he came from, but like he is Clark, he is Superman. So like that, that, that kind of speaks to that for me where it's like, and in, in, in this episode, he says it as much, like the more I try to be in these episodes, like the more I try to be Kryptonian, the more I try to be Kal-El, the more I realize I'm Clark. That, But it, 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 but it should always be there. It should always be kind of that back of his mind thing. I hear you. I know. I know. I feel like when it's someone like Wonder Woman or Martian Manhunter, where I mean, Martian Manhunter in particular, where he is from another planet and that I get, you know, and even Diana from Themyscira from another yeah. world. It's like, I, I guess I get why they would why they would kind of call him that. But yeah, I know. I don't always... get it with Diana. I totally get it with Manhunter, especially if it's a version of Manhunter that has been to Krypton or new Kryptonians, you know? Yes. No, I know. That's very true. But I, I like that scene between them. And then again, going back to, to where we started in terms of where this arc falls. Yeah, we had the whole frog eating clone business and the wedding that wasn't. And, you know, we did our whole episode talking about that. There was also I, I actually did watch this just to sort of get myself back in the Lois and Clark mindset. I did watch that one episode in between the frog eating oh, clone no. amnesia oh, business. No. And this, it's a small, small world. Yeah. Yeah. Co-written oh, by God. Terry Hatcher where they go to her uh -huh. high school reunion. <laughs> And her classmates shrinking people and Superman gets shrunk down. Uh, it was, you know, I hadn't watched it in years. So she is I, a talented yeah. actress. That's what it will say. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I guess I, uh, as, as far as means to delay the wedding and keep them apart, mm-hmm. well, I guess, let, let me ask you this. How does, because I know we're taught, we, we enjoy this arc. There's so much that we love about it, but in terms of its timing, it is right on the heels of another arc, another multi-episode arc that delayed yeah. the wedding and kept them apart. And mm-hmm. so now we have it. So even putting aside the fact that we, we like this, we think this is effective. How do you feel about the timing of it? That it's yet another impediment to the, to them actually getting married. I, I think it is, I think it's well-timed and it's so hard to think of it from me without thinking of how much they screwed the pooch with the, the amnesia stuff, especially right after the wedding. Um, I think it makes all the sense in the world to not get them married in the season finale here. Just, just given the landscape of network television at the time where like that type of thing was looked on as, as a death knell as like, well, now all your chemistry is gone or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, I've got, I've got no, no problem with it in that way. Um, and I think truly at that point, it, it takes them being worlds apart to stop them from getting married. And I like, just like as a log line, I love that aspect of it as well. No, I hear you. I, I agree. It's uh, again, it was interesting not to rehash because we did the whole episode, but it was interesting going back and watching the the clone arc. Mm. Uh, the Lois and Clark seemingly get married. It turns out Lex has replaced her with a clone, and then you know it just continues because she loses her memory. <laughs> it and just she, keeps happening <laughs> at us. Yeah, and she adopts this other persona from a novel she had written, and then she loses her memory entirely. And it's <laughs> that's it's those la- those last episode or so where she's fully you know fully fully has amnesia and she's in the you know that rehab center. You say and, your name. Her name is Wanda Detroit. But, yeah. Remember it. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they had various outs throughout that arc that they like just didn't take. And it was just, yep. <laughs> you know, it, it just kept going. But those were artificial forces keeping them apart. And some work better than others. I really love the Lex of it all in that. And when he finds out Clark's secret, like there's some, you know, there's great Incredible. stuff. Incredible. Incredible John Shea Lex Luthor stuff there. Yeah. For sure. And I, but like here, what I appreciated about this is that, yes, you do have this this external force in the, in the form of new Krypton, but it's not that new Krypton comes and they abduct Clark, right? It's that he has, he does have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. He's Superman. So of course we know what the choice, but he does have a choice. And so that, that tension, that keeping them apart, it to me is far more palatable and tracks and is, is, is a much richer drama. Another, another great point of it. Again, it is their decision. She is not fighting this. Ultimately, they both get to the same place. And even his parents are on board with why this has to happen. Like, like that's, that's what buys it for me, you know? Yeah. So when we get to that second episode, that's where, again, uh, Chang and and Lady Zara reveal themselves as members of New Krypton, that there were about a thousand or so of them who had left Krypton before it was destroyed to find a new home. And all they found was this barren rock. Uh, that yes. they settled on and and called a new Krypton. And there's, I I liked some of the some of the barbs uh, from Ching where it's like you know we didn't have takeout and sitcoms here, basic cable <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Oh, that was it. Yeah, situation comedies. <laughs> yeah, the resentment that Clark has grown up with powers and with all of these comforts uh, that they haven't had on on New Krypton. And so again, there's a lot that's sort of downloaded to Clark and the audience in that second episode about who yeah. they are, why they're here, much of what we've touched on already that. Clark is part of this noble family, and he's meant to return to New Krypton and rule with Lady Zara uh, in order to prevent a civil war. Again, being 
being instigated by this Lord Nor character. Lord Nor, who we will get to. Yeah, oh, we'll get to him for sure. So I guess one of the main reasons why, uh, well, I mean, the main reason why this episode is part of this arc, right, is is we deal with this lost piece of Krypton. It's not Candor, right? It's not the bottle city of Candor, no, but it's, it's not Argo or whatever. Yeah, but it's kind of in that vein, right? There that there's this piece yep. of Krypton. Although unlike Candor, where it's been bottled and there's this this removal there, there's this barrier, right? Clark can yeah. can shrink down and enter and, and this and that. And we, we talked about those pre-crisis stories where at a certain point, it's like, all right, it's like too much access to <laughs> millions of Kryptonians. But but that being said, even within that, it's like, it is, there is this inherent tragedy to it. And he, he you know, it is this ongoing quest to try to restore them to normal size and, and, and all of that. Whereas here, it's just this planet of Kryptonians out there. Right. This is a, this is a. I think this is a. I, I, this is another aspect that I remain mixed on. Is is having this whole <laughs> outpost of Kryptonians uh, out there, and they remain out there when we're done with this arc. It's not mm-hmm. like that genie's put back in the bottle. Does that diminish Clark as the as the last son of Krypton? See, I don't know because for me, I have always enjoyed when the Kryptonians have showed up in, in various forms of media, but also like, let's, let's just be completely honest here. Obviously Lois and Clark was a big part of my crypto, uh, my Kryptonian life, my Superman life growing up. And like, it, it is as canon in my heart as anything, even as we, we take it apart and make fun of, um, you know, birth wife. Um, <laughs> So for me, like it, it's that's never been an issue, and it, it gets us so many other interesting characters throughout the various interpretations. Um, like he's ours. the 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 moniker of Last Son of Krypton means honestly absolutely nothing to me. The moniker of Man of Tomorrow, Man of Steel, you know, wh- whatever you want to call him in that regard, like that's that's what it means, and and. They get to it in this episode, too, and I think it's what also buys it back for me, where it's just like he chooses who he's fighting for, and he's fighting for the good people of Krypton and, more importantly, the good people of Earth. And, like, that's past that. I don't care if they find three other, you know, planetoids with Kryptonians on it. He's he's still the only one that 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 we elevate, that that we care about in that way. I agree. I think I agree ultimately. And I, yeah. I, I appreciate your take and the way you laid that out. And it's like, whether it's a bottle city or it's the phantom zone or a la Candor on Smallville, where they were in that orb, you know, <laughs> not entirely dissimilar from, from a bottle, but regardless of the means, right, we've encountered so many instances where there are these other Kryptonians out there. Here we go again. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it, it creates this, this tension where he is he is put in this spot where he has to choose. And I feel like it's a particularly interesting choice to present this Clark, the Clark Kent of Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, because mm-hmm. yes, he has discovered some of his origin. He knows where he's from. He knows the name of his parents, but it's not, it's not like we've seen in other incarnations. He doesn't have an Arctic hideout where he no. goes and he chats with Jor-El, whether it's, sort of a, a friendly familial chat like we've seen in, you know, Superman and Lois and things like that, or very tense like we got on Smallville where Jor-El oh, God just mean father, yeah. Berating him. Or... Yeah. It's like, <laughs> he'll never be Earth's hero. It's like You oh, can God. save Lana, but I'm gonna kill your dad. You know, <laughs> that version sucks. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And again, to put it in context with the show, he gets all of he gets Krypton Jarrell, his name, Laura, like he gets all of that downloaded to him basically in one episode in season one, and we haven't dealt with it since. And in 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 that way, like this is this is a huge culture shock. I don't know if that's the right term, but like this is a huge moment for him where like this this part of his life, this origin for him comes back and really bites him in the ass in, in every single way. And like for that drama alone, I'm totally into it. And then obviously in other versions, like I like Kara, I like Jack Sir. Like I, I like what these characters bring to the story. I, I've, I've always, I've always been open to that. It's so funny to me when like you hear, and, and I'd love to know from you, like, was this the era of DC Comics where it's like, no, he's the last son. That's like, he's the only one from Krypton. That's it. No other Kryptonians. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yes. A whole, very yeah? much so. Okay. Yeah. Which is another, I love this show being like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Um, but like, that that is such a weird hill to die on for me where it's like, why do you want to deny these other characters and and deny that like, even though he's not the last son of Krypton, that he could go out and have this life. Clark Kent made his life here. This is where Clark Kent lives. This is the the world that Clark Kent cares about. So he's going to stay and do what he can to protect it. Uh, you bring up some great points when you, when you talk about how you know why deny these things. I, I actually used the word undeniable in the last episode talking about Candor, and this is the point I made because during that post-crisis triangle era period of the comics, there was this mandate mm-hmm. that Clark was going to be, Kal-El was going to be the only Kryptonian, but that didn't, we still had a Supergirl. We still had a Zod. We had, we ended up with a, right. a crypto. We had, they they bent over backwards to bring in kind of alternate versions, right? Whether it was from a pocket yep. dimension or the Phantom Zone or whatever, but- Clone, it, weird, whatever, alien goo, yeah. But the effect was the same. So my point was, it's like, yeah, I think certain things kind of are undeniable and why why not just- just go all in on it as opposed Let to Let yourself doing... enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And I like, I really like what you said about culture shock because the thing that I wrestled with a little bit is if this were a Clark who had more of a connection to his home world, might, might that make the, the tension and the dilemma stronger? But I like what you said because mm. you do get that culture shock and you wouldn't necessarily have that if he's been training at the fortress with Jor-El and he's been learning sure. Kryptonian ways. You Then you would kind of short circuit that part of it. So I, I, I like the way this plays here. And it's also like, here's the thing. And I, again, I think this cuts both ways that there hasn't been much Krypton on the show so far. So it's like now here, like here it is. This is yeah. the part of his life that really hasn't been explored yet on the show. And here it is in full force. And he has to make this choice. And I'm, gl- I'm just glad they did it. I'm really glad that they went there. I am too. And and again, it it speaks to the character for me. And it get like I I let's include her in this too, because it, it is, you know, as we say, it's it's their choice. Um, but like as you're saying, like if he had gone to the fortress, if we'd seen, you know, David Warner as as Jarrell uh, more throughout the years, and he'd had other outer, you know, intergalactic threats and whatnot, this would be a little more um possibly palatable to them or like something that he'd thought about more where like here it is this baffling thing that's come out of nowhere and he still chooses to go with them because it it is like holistically at that point the right thing to do and that's it's a great exercise for the character 
It really is. And so that second episode, so much of that is this back and forth and deciding what to do. And I agree, Terry Hatcher has some great, you know, we'll get to the kind of the high drama of it, but there's some great comedic moments and you hit on a number of them already. I think my favorite, and I actually rewound and I watched it again, is when mm-hmm. uh, they're in one of the offices at the Daily yep. Planet and they're talking with Zara and Ching and, and Clark makes this point. He's like, hey, keep talking about this Lord Nor. How do we know you're not with Lord Nor? And Lois is like, yes, that's right. Good, good, Clark. <laughs> good, Clark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to do, she's like, well, I talked to him parallel about it before not with our mind but you know with our mouths that like was great too here meanwhile i love that 10 year old you was terrified of roger daltrey running around as, as tez as Calvel, you've become a wizard <laughs> yeah it doesn't hit the same now as <laughs> i bet <laughs> but uh you know i guess in fairness so right again the, the at this point the still unseen lord nor has sent this this assassin Tez to assassin Tez, to take yes. out to take out Kal-El. who is let's be very clear not Kryptonian that's a big part of, of dealing with Tez is knowing that yeah yeah he's not Kryptonian I, I guess in fairness he we, we come to learn right he has this ability he, he sort of learns from the encounters that he has and his powers yeah. grow and he can, it's almost an amazo-ish type thing but like yeah he can almost mimic or 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 somehow copy a power yeah yes so so in a sense maybe he was a good choice but at the same time as i'm watching this i'm like why did you send this guy i I mean because initially clark would be able to make short work of him uh but for his shape-shifting ability and that does lead to uh, a very humorous moment so (laughs) i have to say one of the things that was just so funny to me i and i don't know the mileage may vary on this maybe people thought this was silly but when uh, tez uh, transforms into Martha mm-hmm. and she's there in the apartment. I thought that was so funny. Hey, Callan killing it. Like supposedly Martha comes to Clark's apartment, um, to, to comfort him, but she's also, she's, she's Tez and she's trying to kill him. Uh, and, and like throwing steel pokers and stuff into his back. And he's just having a tense day. And he's like, mom, whatever you're doing is great. And she's just getting more and more pissed. And I, I love that whole thing. He also becomes Jimmy later on too, at the planet you were talking about the, the moment that scared you. And there, there's just like a cool um, aspect to that, where it's like, it is obviously the most alien threat we've ever faced on this show. Um, which, which brings its own kind of level of, of sci-fi fun to play. And the fact that like, when he's weaker, he can't conceal everything. So it's always his hand that changes first. So I think Jimmy and Martha at one point have like the weird, ugly hand and that type of thing. I, th- I think it's I think it's really fun. And again, it's Roger Daltrey. Like it's, it's bizarre casting, and he's having a ball with it. Yeah, he he totally went for it. Yeah, the, the yeah. scene. Yeah, the scene with the with the massage was fantastic. And then. They have a little skirmish, right? And then the landlady comes to the door. And while Tez is behind the door, he shapeshifts into this very attractive blonde woman. And, and the landlady opens the door. And it's like, he's, like Clark is grabbing this woman. And he's yes. like, you're not going anywhere. And she's like, Mr. Kent. No means no. you were no. engaged to Miss Lane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No means no, Mr. Kent. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. That's the thing. I, and that, again, the, these four episodes, man, they really run the gamut because you get some really emotional moments where we're tearing up. You get some some very comedic moments. You get action to the level that this show is able to realize it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really it, 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 it hit on so much. So I, I, all of that was was a ton of fun. And then, again, you know, Clark has to make this decision. And you, you, you hit on this scene earlier, but 
uh, he and Lois go to talk to Jonathan and Martha. Mm-hmm. And I, man, like this has come up on the show and this has come up on social media recently because, you know, renowned comic book writer, Mark Wade, who wrote my favorite take on the Superman origin story, Birthright, you know, he's gone on record <laughs> on this show and on other shows and interviews as not liking Jonathan and Martha being alive. Right? He doesn't like the idea that Clark can go to them for it's advice. crazy to me. I, I love Mark Wade. I, I have, su- I have such differing opinions from him sometimes, but yeah. Same, man. Same. Like it, it, it breaks my heart to hear that because I, I look at a scene like this and like, that's, that, that's perfect to me, right? Like that he would go to them with this life altering decision that he and Lois are facing. And to your point earlier, you know, Martha talks about how they marched for civil rights. And so I love that you get that, that piece of history. And she talks about how, you know, people told of us- of course it, they did, because they're the best people in the world. You know? Yeah. And that's it. Like you see where all of this comes from. And then, and then even Jonathan, where he's like, you know, I often thought about what, what I would say, like if, you know, if I had a son who was you know, called to war, right. If you were drafted. And yeah. you know, the question would be, is this your fight? Right. So I love, oh man, I, th- that's, I think that's one of the other things because Smallville was so formative as we spent so much time mm-hmm. with John Schneider and Annette O'Toole and they're, they're always yeah, number yeah. one in my heart. But when I go back and I watch this, I'm like, this Jonathan and Martha, man, they were, they were great. Yep. MVP of the series is Kate Callan for me, like, like hands down. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel the same way. And it's so nice to look as the season went on, as the seasons went on, this show prioritized its extended cast less and less. And by that, I mean Jimmy and Perry and the Kents. And it's so nice to see them have them, the Kents. Jimmy and Perry still have shit to do in these episodes. But see them really have something to do and and play into um, his decision-making or you know the peril and whatnot, uh, obviously, in the start of season four. Um, and just let, let them, let them have the importance in the story that they have in his life naturally. It's lovely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, Clark ultimately decides, or he and Lois decide that he'll go, right? If there's a chance that he could save lives and stop this war, of, of course he's going to go. I have to give the show credit because one of the things as I, as I finished the end of season three, I was like, you know, they focus so much on what, what he and Lois are giving up their their life together mm-hmm. their marriage understandably and that's where the heart of this is but it's also that earth is losing its protector and i was saying to yeah. myself i feel like that's not really being fully taken into account here but then and i'm jumping ahead but at the start of season four there's that guy at the planet who asks lois out on the date and then you know they're going back <laughs> and forth and and he has this whole thing about like well hey he left us here and and lois defends that choice and she's like of course he thought about that and he hated to go and I felt like that was the show like addressing the exact little critique that I had had. Yeah. So I everybody shut that. up. He had to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's, there's also, <laughs> and I forget if it's the first or second episode, but there's a really great uh, exchange between Ching and Lady Zara who they have their own, you know, they have their own thing going on and this romance that they have not been able to, to explore with each other. But Ching says to her, he's like, you know, I don't understand. Like he's hiding behind this pair of glasses. Like he should be ruling these people and showing them the Kryptonian way. And like, why isn't he? And, and Zara says, perhaps there's a higher lesson to be learned here. And it was such a great moment because whenever, and I know as Superman fans, we often get this question of like, Oh, why Superman? And it's like, well, one of the reasons is that this is a guy with the power of a God who could do anything. 
And this is what mm-hmm. he chooses to do. He chooses to be part of humanity and protect humanity yep. and knows that just because he can do something, just because he can exert his will on people doesn't mean he should. And I just like that there was that moment between them. And there's this notion of there's a higher lesson here that people need to take into account. I just thought it was great. Yep. I, 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 I it, it's, it's the fun part of like being, being a huge fan of the DC lore in general, where it's like Batman is, is the human being who, who rejected normalcy and, and it made himself extraordinary. Whereas Superman is the extraordinary who just wants to be ordinary, who just wants the white picket fence, who like when we find out in crisis that Tom Welling gave up his power, we're like, yep, makes sense. Good for you. But, you know, like that this is this is what he wants. It's why I hate things like the Kill Bill is a great movie, whatever. But like that whole take on like, you know, Clark Kent is his characterization of humanity or whatever. I'm like, no, that, that it's who he is. Like that, that it's the part of me that oh god, that, that doesn't connect with the Christopher Reeve movies as much cuz I'm like that's he's not himself in either role there. Like it's somewhere in between. And 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 that kind of hurts me. Where like I I love this show for showing me uh, at a very young age a Clark Kent that is as as himself as he possibly can be when he's got glasses and a tie on at the daily planet, you know, listen, Matt, this is a safe space here. I do not, I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of love and respect and appreciation for the Christopher Reeve portrayal and the Donner movies. At the same time, I don't and have never worshiped at the altar of them the way I know a lot of folks do. And the thing that has always been the roadblock for me is exactly what you described. I've said this a lot on the podcast, so I don't want to sound like a broken record. The thing that kind of that unlocked it for me was just kind of shifting my perspective and just recognizing this the, the version of the character I grew up with, Triangle Era, Lois and Clark, Smallville. It's a man mm-hmm. with the powers of a god. And I look at what I had yeah. to realize was, okay, looking at the Reeve performance, it's, it's a god living among men. And once yeah. I sort of shifted, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, it's, it's still not, I guess, what I, what I gravitate towards the most but I at least was able to kind of make my peace with it. And, and uh, there's so much to enjoy in those movies. But as you're saying and all of that- And just not to, go ahead. No, no, no. As you're, because I know it's like, look, whenever we bring up these opinions, it's like, oh my God, like we have to tread very carefully. But it's like, I, I get know. it, man. I get it. <laughs> to be clear too, Christopher Reeve, incredibly talented actor. The most talented actor that has ever put on the cape. Like hands down, no no argument there. It's just that that take on the character that that he was given in a script when he was cast is not my favorite. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. No, I mean, and Lois and Clark, uh, I, I think I often, it's like, you've spent so much time with the show and you talked about every episode in depth. So, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't recall. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, I, you know, I, I haven't gone through that, that process, but whenever I do revisit the show, I think I, what I always have to, what I realize and what I realize more and more each time is how formative this show was in shaping how I saw the character because yeah. did it have all of the comic book elements from the, the stories I was reading at the time? No, but in terms of focusing on Clark, Clark is who he is, Superman is what he can do, this core cast at the Daily Planet, the, these Metropolis set stories, that was very much in keeping with the comics at the time. So it was, although mm-hmm. I know we're talking about distinctions, especially in terms of other Kryptonians and things like that, but <laughs> so much of it did kind of line up. And 
and brought to life what I was reading in the pages. And so I, of, I do have to remind myself, like, no, I think this was more, I think this was more formative for me than I often realize, uh, especially how young I was watching it, you know, and think yeah. about all this, I forgot more than I remember, but like, it still makes that impression. I have to ask you this question. So this show makes a big point about how Clark is a virgin, right? And has saved uh, himself for marriage. And that Lois uh, and Clark, they yeah. have not consummated their relationship. So much so that the episode after the wedding, which you and I talked about, because it's a Tempest episode, is all about how this curse will... will uh, They're ready to bone. Knock, knock, knock. H.G. Wells. Yeah. Exactly. Here's where I call BS. <laughs> I do yep. not buy. I know exactly what you're going to say. That the night before he leaves, when they're going at it and you see them through the window and they're kissing passionately as they always do, I do not buy that nothing else happened that night. I, I refuse I to accept that. I'm so with you. I also don't think the show fully accepted it in season three until they got to that story and that they wanted to do in season four. Like that that is that is that is the way. The proper way, I think, to read that scene, it's only later on in continuity that we go like, oh, I guess they didn't. But I, like that is, to me, literally his last night on Earth. And like they basically pan to the wafting curtain in the corner and like they do it totally. Even and on top of that, he even says to her, he's like, in my heart, I am your husband. And she's like, I am mm -hmm. your wife. So it's like, even if you want to read like, well, they were waiting for marriage. They're basically saying, Laurie, we're married. <laughs> also, totally, legally, I think they are married because he married a clone that signed the wedding certificate. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure this is a done deal. It's, it's, uh, it's funny because it's especially egregious with these two because they are, and for all of the Lois's and Clark's that we've had, all of the pairings. Mm -hmm. Lois High and Clark, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, is there any, uh, Tom Welling and Erica Durant are up there, but is there any other pair that even comes close in terms of heat? I mean, I'm not talking, oh, nope. they have some chemistry, but I mean like sexual heat. Nope. That And that is, that is, let's be very clear, that is what got this show through the four seasons that it had. It is their chemistry. And I, I am one that will never know until someone writes their their tell-all book or whatever. I don't know that they were the best friends in real life, but God damn, do they photograph well together. And they really, really do have that incredible chemistry. I agree with you on half of the Smallville formula. I think Erica Durant can have chemistry with a wall. Like she, she is so good, especially when we do like flash forwards and she's just so hot for her husband or whatever like you know the guy that she knows is superman at that point um tom welling does not have the kind of soap opera romancy heat that dean kane did in the 90s and the two of them together in this show is unstoppable yeah. it's why um just like for anyone that, that didn't listen to my show one of my favorite things throughout doing my whole podcast was meeting uh fans of lois and clark from like back in the day that would come on and have no give a shit whatsoever about the comics or other versions. And like, maybe they saw Man of Steel or they saw, you know, Christopher Reeve on reruns or whatever, but like would have watched Terry and Dean play anyone. It was just about their chemistry. That's, the, you know, it's funny. We were talking off mic about this, but that's as, as I get deeper into this podcast and, 
you kind of come to meet all these different pockets of fandom out there. It's like any <laughs> incarnation of the character that's existed. There, there are fans, and there, mm-hmm. and within those pockets, there are fans who are fans of the character and and enjoy other interpretations. And there are fans yep. who just like that incarnation. It's, right. it's all who live or die for Smallville or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. What what have I not encountered yet? I I don't think I've met any like diehard Kirk Allen fans. Poor Kirk Allen. But I'm sure <laughs> maybe there's there's got to be some out there. <laughs> they died off. You know, like in fairness, they they existed at one point. And the ones that were just like, uh, if it didn't happen on the radio serial, it didn't happen. You know, like we we've always been in annoying people as Superman fans. <laughs> it's true. No, but I think like after after <laughs> I mean Reeves, Reeve, Dean Kane, uh, obviously Tom Welling, Henry Cavill. It's uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure fans now. Tyler Hecklin will be the only Tyler. Yeah, be the only one. Brandon somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Oh, poor Brandon. I'm so sorry. I left God bless. that list. I know. Love, love you so much, Brandon. Yeah, for sure. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On to Your Shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Uh, I anyway. loved, I loved, you know, we already talked about that, that farewell scene where he's saying goodbye, particularly to Jonathan and Martha, and it's a tearjerker. I love when he says goodbye to the people, right, in the Daily Planet bullpen. At the planet, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a nice callback to to the pilot, right, when he has that, that big, that remains in the opening credits. And I love the message to the people of, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially like you got to be your own hero now. You need to take look, care of yourself. You know, take care of yeah, yourselves. Look within yourself. Other. Yeah. I like yep. that so much. Yep. Um, do you like to the call out in the, um, Jimmy brings the layout for that day's issue of the daily planet to Perry of like, we're ready to run with this downstairs and it's a world without Superman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, the storyline that wouldn't have happened without this stupid show. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the snake eating its tail of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, as, as someone who the death of Superman means a lot to me to, to see the world without Superman headline and then to see him in the black suit at the end of this, it's fantastic. Before we get to the black suit, the, I know, like, like we said, Perry and Jimmy, not a ton to do in these episodes. Uh, there's this quick moment of, oh, Clark couldn't be here for Superman's farewell. <laughs> <laughs> and Superman's like, uh, he knows how I feel. Clark knows how I feel. Yeah, I've always, and I've said this a bunch of times, I've, I always, in my heart, Jimmy's probably not too quick on the uptake, so I, I believe that he's fooled. In my heart, Perry always knows. I agree. Uh, I agree. There's no textual evidence to back this up on no, the show. In fact, no. a lot to the contrary. So he's either the best actor on the show or it didn't happen. But yes, in the same way that Gordon knows. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. But yes, let's talk about the black suit. So what I also I have to say, I want to I do for for anyone who like wants more of this. I mean, a they should check out your show generally, but especially that that arc talk that you did about this, because I'm so glad you liked this episode. I I, have no memory of it. It was the height of quarantine. Yes, you talked about that. You're like, we're I know. And I looked at the date. So I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are like in it at the time. But I mean, not that you would know from the rest of the episode It was a great episode, but it was cool. It was cool getting Craig's take, uh, Craig from Krypton site, because he, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, I watched this when it first aired, but I was so young. I mean, I don't, I, you know, he was totally. in it and he was in the fandom and he could speak to kind of what the reactions were and what the speculation was like over the summer and, and all of that. So it was, it was cool to get that perspective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for you then and now, what's what's your your take on the the black suit? Oh, I think it's awesome. I, I It is, it is the, the, again, it's this show's version of it. It's it's got the blue and the sparkly cuffs and the little sparkle blue toes and whatnot. But I am someone who is just like ride or die for his costume in general on this show. And I totally get not my wife calls it pajamas and I'm like, shut up. But I understand. But like for me, it it this is like when I close my eyes and think of Superman, it is it is like. Dean Kane in that costume and to see it translated into this and have that big fun bubbly S still in that like slightly more I don't know the right word here utilitarian regal militaristic whatever version of the suit the the like you know no color kind of back to business Superman suit here I think it's super cool and the fact too that it is it is the most blatant attempt for this show to be like Hey nerds, we see you. We read a book too. We know what to do here. Um, I think that's really cool um, as an artifact out of this show too. No, absolutely. It's it's so cool. I mean, look, no, it's not a direct adaptation of the Death and Return of Superman. But once again, and this is the the themes have become a theme because <laughs> thematically it taps into a lot of those ideas, right? Of a world without Superman and Lois mourning, right? He's not dead, mm-hmm. but he's gone for a period of time. So it taps into a lot of that. And so it's fitting that it would make its appearance here and, and totally in line with he's on this, he's on the ship and he's with the other Kryptonians. And yeah, I like the design. Yes. The blue, you know, it was, it was different than what was on the comic, but it was still very much in keeping with it. And as much of a big deal as that black suit was in the comics, we've not seen it a ton of other places, right? Obviously, Clark's season nine suit on small suit, his sure. outfit well, suit. Is, is black, but it's not. Matrix cosplay, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I'm a fan, but you know, but yeah, we didn't get all the way there. And then obviously the Snyder cut. And and even there, it's like he had to sneak that in. He had to shoot Cavill in the blue suit and then change it after. <laughs> and then, yeah, color time it down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I think it's very cool. It's also a great, they they give it a moment like there there is basically a scene devoted to like this is the suit now um at, at least for the next couple of episodes here and it is just like because the krypton stuff is so slow rolled because we only meet the the two kryptonians in season 3 you don't necessarily see it coming but then you realize like they've just been wearing black with little color accents throughout so like it is i think it's an honestly really cool aesthetic payoff for the show that didn't get to do that very much. And though I'm aesthetically obsessed with this show, like it, it is not about that in most episodes. So they really, they give it a moment to shine here. I think it's really cool. It is. And, and look, we've, we've all seen how superhero costumes have evolved generally, but I think it, 
it's a testament to these actors who who wore costumes before the modern era. The before muscle suits, really. George yeah. Reeves and Christopher Reeve and Dean Cain, credit where credit's due, because and I feel, I feel I always use poor Kirk Allen as this example. I feel so bad, but like you watch, take him down, do it. No, you watch those. Isn't that's okay? But like you Throw watch him down with the mole people. Those old. Uh, <laughs> that was real. No, that was Reeves. But oh, you're right. Shit. No, oh, see, I'm losing all my credit. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, I, I always use this example where you watch those movie serials for me at least. And when Kirk Allen is running around in that Superman costume, it's like it looks like a guy running around in a Superman costume. But then yeah. when you look at George Reeves in essentially the same costume standing there, you're, you say, oh, that's Superman. And yep. that's that. And same thing with 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 Christopher Reeve and Dean Cain, too. Again, credit where credit's due, where it's like it's no easy thing to pull that off, especially without the the advantages of, of the modern costumes. Yeah. To look at them and feel like, OK, I can buy this is the guy. Mm-hmm. It's 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 something not everybody can do that. I, I again, I have. Nothing but contempt for modern Dean Kane. Him in the in the 90s in that suit, I, I I love to death. You know, like I think he looks awesome. And he's the last actor that that did it without any any padding. Like that is just him in spandex. And he, he looks great. And and I get what you mean too, whereas like I am I am unapologetic for loving Superman Returns. But Brandon Routh is so made up in that that like in close-ups, like kind of all I can see is the makeup and the wig and stuff. You know, like it, it's it's it is not the same effect for me as as seeing Dean in either one of these stupid pajama y cutlery suits. I love them so much. No, fair enough. So you know, now we're into the second half of this. And again, I know we've jumped. We've already, just two hours into the podcast. No. We're, doing great. <laughs> we're not even not even at the hour and a half mark. We're doing great. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but we've we've already hit on on a number of, of key points. But <laughs> but this these these first couple of episodes of season four uh, introduce us to Lord Nor. This Kryptonian. Do you know this actor from about. anything else? This is uh, Simon Templeton. Oh, you know, and I looked him up and there was something that he did that I was familiar with, but now I, I've totally forgotten. <laughs> what I no, no worries. I, I knew him. Uh, I, I didn't, I know him from Lois and Clark first and foremost, I guess. Um, but in, in later life, like he, he's shown up on genre television. He was in Charmed for a bit. He was an angel. Like he, he's just like one of those guys that's done an episode of everything and is, is, clearly a like Shakespearean trained actor and, and a theater guy and brings all of that to this, these couple episodes where like he is, he is damn near close to a Tempest or a Luther from this show for me, a, a John Wells or Lane Davies, where it's just like, he understood the tone. He could bring the funny where he needed to. And he is genuinely funny throughout these two episodes while also being genuinely menacing and, and like, you know, cruel and mean. I think he just knocks it out of the park. Am I the only one here? No, no. Okay. I couldn't read your face at all there. While I was doing that. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just letting your words wash over me. I was taking it all mm. in. No, I really, uh, this, I look, this has just turned into one big love fest, but I just, I had so much fun with these episodes and, and I very much enjoy the character. And so as we're at the beginning of season four, Clark's been gone, he's on the ship, he's learning these customs and really struggling. And there's this unity ceremony and he's meant to consummate the relationship, but he and Zara have this conversation and they're going to be partners on the throne, but not in the bedroom, all, all of this. Yeah. And meanwhile, while they're 
going through this whole process and heading back to New Krypton, Nor has sent his minions to Smallville because they've been able to track that's where Kal-El's ship had landed. So what you would think would have been a big secret is something that they're able to discover. Like something very they've just yeah got on Kryptonian Wikipedia somehow, yeah. Yeah, and so he sent his his minions there, and then eventually he makes his big uh, his his big entrance here. And no, I agree. I mean, I feel like yeah, it's it's it can't be an over the top in the Lois and Clark ways that you would want, but moments that are genuinely funny and genuinely threatening and intimidating. When we get to the end of the season four premiere, when mm-hmm. when Clark reveals himself uh, as, as Superman in Smallville, but but uh, in disguise, and he's like, "What do you want?" And the music's thumping and Lord Lord Mm -hmm. like, I want your throne. I want your world. I want your life. It's like, oh man, like it was a, it was a powerful note to go out on. Yep. I, I, I agree. And, and also keep in mind, again, this is, this is the razor edge that the show walks on where it's like, when it's funny, it's funny as hell. And sometimes it falls flat, but I think it really chooses its moments. Well, in these few episodes where like, this is a guy who earlier has done, a um wizard of oz reference where where they're you know he's taking over the town of smallville but like well that that's not how we do things in kansas well i'm afraid we're not in kansas anymore you know like that type of thing and he does like this morning show where he's got like sunglasses and a lav mic on his big stupid tiger vest and and he's like well you know kelly i'm just trying to bring a uh, little order to the the you know barbaric people of this planet. Nothing, nothing more than that. And it, like the the tones that he gets to play, he gets like the best villain intro of the entire series for me. It, aside from Lex Luthor, frankly, um, and 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 he doesn't waste it. The actor is brilliant, and I only wish the show had gone on and hadn't killed him. Like they would have brought him back in some way, shape, or form. You know, I know that really that is a bummer. So he. Very much fills the 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 role of a of a general Zod. He's not. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yes. go for it. Well, how do you feel about this? Because there there is there's a version of this where they got the okay from DC Comics, who I can only imagine said absolutely not at some point, and they find replaced Lord Nora for General Zod. Would would you have preferred that here? It's like you might expect me to say, yeah, it really should have been General Zod. I don't, I don't know. I'm fine with this. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Maybe because it is, I grew up during this period of the comics where they had to find all of these other ways around various restrictions. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Noor is, is doing his own thing here. And there's also, look, it very, it could have very easily been Zod, uh, at the same time, though, it's like I feel like the effect would have been the same. But also with, with Zod, if it if everything else had been the same, but it had been Zod, then you lose the whole dynamic of him having been imprisoned. I mean, then if it had been Zod, maybe yeah, they, maybe they would have really worked that point. in, right? Yeah. But then that that changes the dynamic. Like this whole idea is he wants to marry Zara and rule. I mean, obviously Zod wants to rule too, but. I don't know. There's enough of a distinction here where I'm like, no, this was kind of in its own lane. If it had been Zod and he wasn't an escapee from the Phantom Zone or whatever, then I don't know. Then it's not really Zod anyway. How do you feel? Yeah, I agree. I know. I I agree very much. And part of this, too, honestly, is Man of Steel in my head, where it's just like in that, you know, Zod is the most Kryptonian Kryptonian that ever Kryptonian. Whereas like here, it's like, this is just an asshole. This is an asshole with a little bit of power and a title 
who is going to twist his own law and culture to his will to then gain more power. Like I, I, for me, I'm sure there are versions of the character that are this, but I'm like, for me, that's not what Zod was necessarily. Zod was, was, um, it, it not, not as self-serving as this, where it's like, this is just some new jerk like Clark would have faced on earth possibly, you know, like this is, this is Tempest again. This is just someone grabbing for power. Um, you know, smartly and and with a plan and does a pretty good job of it. Um, but it's not Zod to me. And and personally, there's part of me that like, as someone who loves the show and wants to see it kind of included in the conversation more, thank you again, um, would love it just for like, now you've got to include him on all your damn listicles of all, like, you know, when you rate all the Zods. But at the same time, I'm like, he's his own thing. He gets to be the show's creation and and he's just kind of like kept <laughs> kept in the bubble over here and in its own perfect version of a Cretonian villain. I I I I echo all of that because I think you're right with with Zod Zod's about something in a yes. way that's very that's very principled and yes the means that he chooses <laughs> in order to pursue that uh, are questionable and obviously put problematic. Him, put him at odds with Superman. Let's say it. Yeah. But he is his sole reason for being is is the preservation of Krypton and the Kryptonian people, and he will go to extreme lengths for that. I agree with you. This is more of this power hungry, you know, would would be ruler who's living it up here, which yep, I ha- just a jerk. Which I have to say was funny having just having just watched Krypton. That's again Zod, and and a I mean a very just militant, single-minded, focused Zod. And Incredible Zod, yeah. He's a great Zod, but even his soldiers ultimately turn on him by the end. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching that, I'm saying to myself, you know, like I kind of kind of get it. It doesn't seem real fun serving no. that serving Good Zod. Point. It's like what you know, <laughs> it's like there's there don't seem to be many perks to this. Whereas you watch right. this. And, you know, he's letting them kind of tear it up in in Smallville. And, and you kind of feel like, okay, I get why these guys, I mean, I wouldn't, but I get why these guys follow him. Uh, so there's an element <laughs> no, of fun totally. there. You know, again, though, as far as taking over and kind of tearing up a small town, of you know, very reminiscent of Superman too. Yes, very much so. And, and again, it's still Lois and Clark where it's still silly and like his lieutenants are, are flying around drinking pina coladas out of coconut or at uh, pineapples and that type of thing. Like it's, it's all still this show's tone of it. And maybe it's even because of that where I'm like, yeah, you got to do your own thing. You've got it. This, this version of Superman works really well just against a selfish jerk in, in whatever version that that takes, you know? Yeah. Whether it's prankster or whether it's a Kryptonian that can match him power, and who is a master at the Dre, the of course fabled, you know, very famous Kryptonian weapon, as you know, as a scholar, I'm sure. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, no, I think it works. And look to your point. I mean, yeah, Tempest, perhaps as we had discussed, the ultimate villain of of this series, and <laughs> and something that they came up with, and. I don't, I'm not aware of any instance of Noor being used or referenced anywhere else. I mean, like I said, I'm going like to be, I have to know. Yeah. I'll be reading that new Krypton arc uh, very shortly and there's a lot of Kryptonians there. So if I feel like if there's a reference anywhere, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be Please on the lookout let me for know. 
but have you at this total tangent for a second have you ever read the last days of krypton it's a, it's a it's a book it's a it's a novel i have not i know of it but no i haven't read it lovely take on things and not that Nor's in there but i'm just like as you're going through here maybe it's too late to add something in um but it's a really cool take that that kind of amalgamates kind of everything you know nice nice yeah and i I'll love now. sorry no <laughs> that's what we're here for man no i love it uh and i like too that again we're a, a la superman too we're in a small town but that it's smallville i love that it's smallville because yep. that raises the stakes and jonathan and martha are there and we have that personal connection and he puts up that force field um before Lois and Clark infiltrate, we do get this great moment. And again, the music is just so on point here. When Clark returns to the Daily Planet yeah. and marches in and Jimmy's like, they brought they brought Superman back. In the new suit, too. In the new yeah. suit. Oh, it was good. And, you know, again, Jimmy not, doesn't have a lot to do, but he wants one of those cool black suits. He talks about how he's <laughs> cut down his, his body fat percentage yeah, and all that. It's <laughs> cute. Uh, but it was great. Like, I Harry's all pissed movement. off. This is still my newsroom. What are we doing here? Yeah. And look, in that scene and the scenes on the ship, with, I mean, the, the tension continues to mount where uh, the, the Kryptonians clearly feel that, that Kal-El's loyalties are not where they should be, right? Where he's concerned yeah. about Earth and the people he's left behind and, and not the new Krypton that he should be focusing on. So that's certainly a theme throughout. Uh, and we also get a beat, which ends up being important for later. I think it's in that scene at the Daily Planet where uh, Kryptonite at Star Labs has been stolen Yes. Right. You assume that. Thing. Yeah. You would assume that one of the new Kryptonians had uh, had been tipped off, and that they were behind it. That ends up being not the case, which we'll get to. Uh, but the question for you, and maybe I missed something. How do Lois and Clark get uh, get past the dome? Oh, unclear. Completely unclear. It, it's still the show. <laughs> There's still plot holes galore throughout here. Um, but yeah, yeah, the the force field around. How do they get under the dome? I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. All right. Did you like them? I know the dome can be made penetrable by thought transmission. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, the, there's clearly, you know, variations. The, the, the dome has, has, has a couple notches on it. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's just the show being the show and caring until, until caring is slightly inconvenient. And then it just does its own thing. Fair enough. <laughs> Somehow, uh, they make it under the dome, uh, and and you know, super. He he's not he's not Clark. He's Superman. Yeah. He's <laughs> in Superman. Street clothes in a disguise, no glasses, Buffalo Bill's hat, of course, because Dean Kane, um, and slyly, covertly doing like good things for the people, and like digging a well real quick. Like I love that. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, so really I mean, cool. So you like that? Uh, that whole sequence of them undercover in Smallville. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just the idea that like, that is again, his goal, of course, his parents are there. Obviously there's, there's the emotional connection here, but like, this is, this is ground zero. He has to be here. And his first thought is let's try to stabilize these people that are trapped here. That's Superman. That's, that's, that's my guy, you know? And I, I, what I appreciate it too, is that, you know, once he returns to Earth, and especially when he somehow gets under this dome, you know, the instinct maybe is, oh, you want to see this big brawl, right, between him and, and Nor and, and the other guys. But there are all of these civilians. So it, mm -hmm. there are certain production and budgetary constraints that they're working within, right? But it, but, totally. but story-wise, it works. Like, you get yep. why he doesn't just start throwing punches here. So Also, I, theoretically, he's one Superman now against 10 or 20 of them. Like, 
Yeah. Well, the odds gets, aren't great. Let's learn some intel. And he gets punched at one point, and you see him like yeah. he feels it because he's never been, yep. has never been hit like that. Yeah. No, I thought that was cool, and I, I think you guys talked about this in in your episode, but uh, you know, I how, should have listened to this. <laughs> no, of uh, no, it was, it, was a, it was a helpful background, and I was just was curious to get you know what you guys were thinking about everything, but and it prompts other thoughts and questions of you know. Uh, how would the people of Smallville not not put it together that that Clark is Superman? Yeah, but I kind of like that too. I'll my Perry thing. I kind of like the idea that this small town they kind of know who their hero is, and they're knows it's that like weird it's, things were happening. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that, but the the show is also careful not to call him Clark in front of everybody. Yeah, you know, like clearly he cares maybe a little too much about the Kents here, and is hanging around with Lois Lane quite a bit. But as we know. Superman and Lois Lane, good pals. Clark would have been here if he could, but he's out covering some other crap that's happening, I guess. Um, I I don't know. I, I'm cool with it either way, I guess, especially after 10 years of a show called Smallville, where like, if you are living in that town and you don't know that seeing Clark Kent when your house is on fire is a good sign, then you're stupid, you know? <laughs> It it goes to, I hope I didn't mention this in this episode, I don't remember, but it goes to, um, I was a big Buffy fan. And, the, the, you know, and Buffy, it's kind of the same thing, where, like, she's the one hero in this town where there's crap going on all the time. And at the prom, at, like, graduation, basically, she gets gifted the Class Protector Award. And they're all, they're very open about it, but also very vague about it, where it's just like, we know this town is weird. And people die here all the time. She always seems to be there and helping people. And I'm like, it, maybe it's that where it's just like they can't quite put a finger on it, but they know that Clark was was special and was was, you know, a, a soldier of, of good in some way. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Buffy because this was another thing I was thinking about. You know, when we talk about the limitations of superhero television <laughs> and 90s yeah. superhero television, this show in particular. Look, man, I grew up watching Xena and Hercules and Buffy and the other shows where they worked with what they had. And no, it wasn't yep. always the, the the most polished or the most visually stunning, but they worked with what they had and the stories and the characters were compelling. And that's the way I feel about this show. And uh, and, and look, again, I, I'm going through the George Reeve show as well. And, you know, anytime I have a critique of that show, it, you know, sometimes it has to do with, you know, the, something doesn't make sense or character behavior doesn't doesn't totally line up, but it's never like, oh, that looked cheap or, right. or, or anything visually because right. it's like, look, this was a different, a very different time. And they were making this show fast with like no money. I was going to say, you tried doing this for $30 in the fifties, you know, like <laughs> good luck. Yeah. So I think the, the intent and, 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 and again, th these other components here, that's what, what matters. So, you know, when we watch this and you, and you look at some with the ship or, you know, the ship going towards Metropolis and regardless of, you know, they did the best they could. I love that. Show. You know, I, yes, I, did too. I get it. You see the seams in everything here. But it it is it is totally part of the charm for the show for me, where it's like they they very much lean into the artifice of everything, into the heightened world of of what comics are, of what the Superman story is. And I think that really buys you a lot of those more theatrical and my I mean theatrical like theater, like proscenium elements of things, where it's like, yeah, we all know that this is the Warner Brothers backlot and they exist within like less than like a half mile square radius of everything but who cares they're 
doing it and they dropped a car on the set and they flipped someone over and those guys are on wires and they're going for it. Yeah. No, 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 man. Absolutely. Uh, that, that premiere also introduces us to, to the general who tries to breach the force field and is unable to, and spoiler alert, we find out he's the one uh, responsible for the, the theft of the kryptonite. Now, Easy to Monday morning quarterback this so many years later. Watching mm -hmm. this, it's like I couldn't help but say to myself, man, I wish their take on Lois's father had been General Sam Lane because that would have added a whole other dimension to this. Whole other dimension to this would have been very interesting, especially Sam Lane that doesn't know he's Superman and is very willing to to unknowingly use kryptonite on his basically son-in-law at that point. I'm also like... At this point, there's enough nerds in the writer's room for the show where I'm like, call him fucking Eiling. Like, this is the one where I'm like, give it to him because there's no character assassination. There's no nothing here where it's just like, we know Eiling is a jerk and is willing to do this type of thing at any, at the drop of a hat. Why not do it? And this is the part where you, again, show that I'm a bad fan and tell me that Eiling wasn't created till like 2003 or something. No, but no. but <laughs> like, the, like the, this is the one where I'm like, yes, we could have used a little more comic book love here because there's nothing but shady government characters in the DC lore. Yeah, it was a bummer because when we get to the conclusion here, we find out that, again, he's he has the kryptonite and he's weaponized it into this kryptonite gas. Yeah. Uh, and when, again, I'm skipping ahead, but when Superman and Lord Nor have their battle, he's prepared to use this, this kryptonite gas. And Lois finds out and they have this confrontation and like it works fine. But you can't help mm -hmm. but think, man, if that had been her father. <laughs> how cool. How cool. How cool been. if that was the moment where she had to go like, daddy, it's Clark. Yep. Amazing. Would have been so cool. But but they, I mean, they had obviously already, you know, th that, that ship had sailed long before this episode. I know. I know. But so as we kind of built towards the conclusion here, again, Clark reveals himself, turns himself in, and we have this whole trial now. Yeah, not, I love this trial. The trial was great. I, I, oh, oh, uh oh. No, well, I have to amend what I said earlier. One other thing that I do remember from watching this as a kid is not so much the trial itself, but when he is sentenced and is going and is in the process of being executed, i.e., disintegrated with his molecules. That yes, spread I mean, across all the galaxies and whatever. That imagery of his of him being scattered and then pulled back. Like I always remember that. That was another thing that stood out. I don't know how the science of that would possibly work, but we'll go. Who cares? Shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I I love that so much. And like, I, I've probably talked about it somewhere before, but I first saw these episodes. My parents were on vacation. It was in reruns on TNT. And basically, I was like being hopped around from various um, uh, family members' houses, like as they were gone. It's like, it'll be nice. You'll spend like two days with this aunt and two days with this aunt and uncle and whatnot. And I'm like, that's great. As long as everyone has TNT and I can sit down for an hour in the morning and watch this because this just happened and I don't know what to think. Like literally the day before my parents left was the start of this. And I'm like, my world is rocked where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll miss you. Do you know if they survive this? You know, like it was it was such a big deal for me. And as much as appointment television can be a appointment television and reruns. It totally was that for me. So like this was thrilling, and to get to that episode and to see that 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 moment of him truly losing, of him like as losing as you could possibly be, being retired in in good place parlance and being scattered across the galaxy was horrifying to me. It was so like like edge of my seat 
in someone else's living room, you know? No, for sure. No, I love hearing that though. Cause those, 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 that kind of experience that you just described, that's so formative and, and is clearly such a memorable part of your fandom. <laughs> oh, yeah, and viewing it might experience. have made a dent or so in my psyche. Yeah, totally. No, I, like I said, no, those TNT reruns, I mean, that that was huge for me too, no doubt. Because mm-hmm. uh, that was late, that was late elementary school for me. So I remember like seventh, eighth grade watching that regularly. And uh, You're just a few years ahead of me. You're like two yes. or three years ahead of me, yeah. Uh, I, what I have to say though, during this trial, so, you know, ultimately it comes down to this idea, he's tried for, tried and convicted for, for treason, right? And they have all of these audio and video recordings. It's awesome. Yeah. Right. They have audio of him and Zara in the, in the bridal chamber talking about how they're not going to consummate the relationship and, and in turn not produce an heir, which is what they're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's audio of him and Lois in the diner, uh, in small, yep. where he's talking about how once we're done with this, like I'm, I'm not going back. Uh, there's the video footage of the two of them making out as passionately making out in her, her apartment. Yeah. And here's the thing I was going to, I was going to kind of complain about like, how are they getting all of this footage? But, (laughs) but having gone through all of those Candor comics, the Candorians were always watching the goings on on earth on their screens. They had these special telescopes and they were just watching stuff all the time. So you know what? I'll go with it. The only one that's a stretch for me is the making out footage on the apartment, even though there there are other Kryptonians there. But like otherwise, of course he's gonna bug the the bridal ch- or the you know the wedding chamber or whatever. Of course he's gonna bug the the cell, the diner where he's keeping Clark for all this time. Like he he, he it is just pure villain shit to me, where it's just like he knows what he's leading up to, so he's just gathering evidence and setting them up to incriminate themselves and it works it's it's great smart villain stuff because it's so mean and so calculated and is kind of undeniable on clark's part where like he he tries in the trial to be like that's not exactly what i meant there but it's like dude it's like you literally just said like we're not gonna have sex and make an error and that's the whole part of those yeah no apps absolutely absolutely and and Nora really pushes Clark's buttons. I mean, he calls mm-hmm. he calls Lois a slut. Yes. And Clark right. really loses his temper. And I wish so there's the later scene before Clark is put in that scattering chamber or whatever we want to call it, <laughs> where he does grab Nor by the neck. Yeah. I wish he had gotten him after the remark about Lois. I would have I would have maybe put that there. But it, wor- it works where cool it is. But too. but even just to see Clark lose it like that was mm-hmm. uh I you know, I, I appreciate it. It, it's it's totally a good moment I, there's also a great joke here with um nor where they're like well what about kal-el's appeal it's like well a bit muscular for my taste <laughs> <laughs> yes that was great he's still funny like this show it, it it is like the razor's edge thing when it's doing well and it does it great in these episodes where it's like how do you make me care and like honestly care that that this you know CG double of Dean Kane is being scattered to the CG wind here, and still laugh throughout the whole thing. Like that's 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 the trick that like we fall in love with with these kind of high concept big sci fi things. Yeah, and I think 
and, and look for, again for anyone who's listening to this who who like hasn't watched these episodes or hasn't watched them in a while and maybe maybe we will inspire someone to go and and I hope watch so these they and, look beautiful on HBO they're they're in they're in full HD except for some of the visuals the you know special effects shots yeah I re- I mean I hope people will go back and and you know do so I mean I think hopefully we've we've prepared everyone enough where you know you have a sense of what to expect and I think this like look. I'm not going to get into all the Snyder stuff, but I am a fan and I enjoyed what was done there. But yes, I, I understand people's feelings about the tone there. It is a different tone, but I, I like what was done there. But I also like having something like this where you can have more yeah. of those lighter moments. And and it really it really runs the gamut uh, to the show's credit. So you get a, a great mix. And, and, and yeah, these high stakes as he's being scattered. And then, of course, the... One of the elders um, kind of realizes arcane that, Kryptonian lo- uh, Ching Ching j- gets yes. his one thing to do in these, these season four episodes <laughs> with this new face. Yeah, sir, and, it's and, trial by combat. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know, therefore it, it's unlawful <laughs> or whatever. And they they reverse their little gadget, and he comes back, and turns out that Kalel had the right as a noble to challenge Nor to a duel, essentially with the Trey sticks. What, what what was your take when we got to this? I, this was probably another one of those things, not unlike Tez, where in my head, I remember them as being far Super more cool. impressive. Yeah. yeah, and yeah I'm yeah. like, all right. Like, it's kind of a bar with balls on the end. It's like, all right. <laughs> the American Gladiator tooth or uh, Q-tip uh, things with, with weird, almost like pumpkin bomb, um, Green Goblin-y balls at the end. Yeah, but we get this great. It's very humorous. The training scene in Lois's apartment uh, yes. between Ching the last and Clark. time we see Lois's apartment on the show too. It's crazy. Ah, to me. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And Zara's trying to help out in the kitchen, but she doesn't know what anything is. And Lois is on the phone trying. Yeah, it was you know it was, it was great. And you know Ching uh, ultimately is able to get the drop on Clark by showing him this maneuver where you can summon this energy and channel it through the through the what is this what is it called again the dre the dre. The dre. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's, or can be a lethal move. It's, it's kind of a, yes. a last resort. You have to be willing to, to, to go there, uh, which of course Clark is, is not. He says, I don't believe, he doesn't believe in killing, uh, which. Until. Ooh, until, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess kind of that, that really takes us to this final confrontation on the streets of Metropolis between, between Superman and Noor. And of course, as Superman uh, arrives, uh, he's back in the blue and red. Back in the blue. he You also just see that he's got a chain on him, which we haven't touched on. But like when he leaves Earth, Lois gives him uh, her wedding band that she never got to wear. And he wears it on a chain around his neck for this entire run, basically, after he leaves Earth. And he's still got that on. But it is the first time we've heard the Lois and Clark Superman theme we you yeah. see him back in the red and blue, and uh, I, I have to shout out uh, uh, Rob O'Connor uh, of All Star Superfan again, where he pointed out this. He pointed this out to me on my podcast, where it was like, "This is the moment where he becomes like truly Superman, where he understands what that role is. He's not playing the part; he is the part at this point." And it's like Lord Nora asks, "Who are you fight for? I fight for my people, and that means." everybody at that point and again like that's why i don't care that there's other kryptonians nobody else can do what he's doing thematically and and whatnot and it's just such a triumphant thing where like you and i like the black suit he looks super cool in it taking it away and giving us that moment with the blue suit again 
just means all that more. Like he's back, you know. I agree with that's all all very well said, and and that that is important because it's like this is kind of a, a final test. Right, especially because the show hasn't given us this part of his character, and he, even in one of the first episodes, he's talking to Lois about how like this is my heritage. Because she's like, "Why are you Kryptonian?" All of a sudden, he's like, "Well, I always have yeah. been." Right, and even though that hasn't been a big part of the show, it's like, yeah, there is this whole other world and life that he he doesn't really know about, uh, and now he's being confronted with it, and it is sort of this final test. And again, this idea of I agree, agree with you, man. I'm kind of like sorting this out in real time, but it's like, yeah, if you have more Kryptonians then yes, that diminishes the last son of Krypton. Although, side note, and I've talked about this before, but the comic book writer, Kurt Busiek, he's talked about this on, on online of like, last son of Krypton doesn't technically necessarily mean like he's the last, like the sole survivor. It's right. like the last born son of the planet or something like that. So it's like, sure. yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't necessarily preclude others. But to your point, as you were saying this, it really struck a chord because it's like, when you have other Kryptonians, then it allows you to show even more how special Clark is because you have all these others, but there's only one Superman. So I think there, there, there can be value uh, in that. And, you know, they have their battle and Clark ultimately does get to the point where he, he uses this technique, this, this go for the kill technique that, that Ching has taught him. Yes. Okay. Go. What, what is your take on this? My take on this is that he survived this. He has seen Ching, do this to him and realize that it, it is a mental state. It takes more than one shot to do it. He, he, for me, it's very heroic where it it's like, it's him understanding the stakes of what's going on and him channeling all that frustration and energy into that moment and doing it. And this is me reading way the hell into Lois and Clark. Let's be very clear, but it like, he knows it as a survivable thing. He takes him out. He incapacitates him. That's what he's trying to do. I don't think that this this Clark is trying to actually kill this guy. In fact, when Lois, after he does the kill shot, and Lois is kind of turned on by it, she's also like, hey, they're gonna about to shoot you with kryptonite gas. This is a bad place to be. And he's like, I've got to get Nora out of here. Yeah. And like that, that's that's it. He has no desire to kill this person. He has to incapacitate him. And of course, he has to punch harder, you know, essentially than he ever has before. And he does it. And, he, and like he wins the day and still should be General Eiling, you know, has the kryptonite gas shot on them. And it is basically happenstance that that he survives. How do you feel about the show again kind of trading on the death of Superman stuff here, where it's like this big battle on the streets of Metropolis and it ends with Superman and Lois's arms. Yeah, I I mean I love I love all of those echoes. I, I really do. And I I mean I think ultimately I, I agree with your read on that because it is it is true. He survives the blast when Ching does it to him. So clearly he we and he have evidence that this is not necessarily a fatal move. Right. At the same time, and especially, I'm not even thinking of so much of, of Man of Steel, but I'm thinking about the the John Byrne story in the comics that preceded this, where Superman made the rather cold and calculated decision to execute the Zod and his companions in the in the pocket dimension that were responsible yeah, for, yeah. for genocide, uh, and the famous cover of him in the executioner's garb and the, and the kryptonite and all of that. And a part of me is like, well, it could have been interesting if he if that was something he was really 
face, like he actually had to make a choice whether or not to do it. But sure. I, I think you're reading of it where he, like he knows this could be survivable. It might not necessarily be like, so he, I mean, he is taking a, a chance, right? And he's, mm-hmm. like you said, punching harder than he ever has before. Uh, so I, so I'm cool with it. I guess it just, it felt a little bit like a cheat where it's like, I'm not going to do this because I can't kill. I won't kill. I don't believe in it. And then he does it. And it's like, wow. But then like he, the guy just lives anyway. And it's like, oh, okay. and good news. It doesn't kill him, but we <laughs> yeah. should get him out of here. And then the gas kills him anyway. So it's fine. Maybe I would have liked if the show made a little bit more of a point about exactly what he thought he was doing in that moment. But I agree with you. I think we can read into it and we can kind of fill in the blanks. And mm-hmm. the fact that he, you know, he goes to carry him out of there, just like going back to the very beginning of this, he was willing to run through that kryptonite force field to save the guy who had put all of these people in danger. It's like, that's who yeah. he is. And when you're talking about the theme, the theme music uh, soaring, right, as he's in the middle uh, of the battle, what does that remind us of? It's like Power Rangers, man. It's yeah, like once totally. that theme kicks in, it's like, you know, like, you know. And also, like one of my favorite experiences throughout all of my podcast was getting to interview the composer of this show who talked about like for these two, you know, the season premiere of season four, they got a real orchestra again and they went for it. And I'm like, where did the Nora theme come from? And he's like, oh, it's basically a ripoff of the Darth Vader theme of, of the Imperial March. I'm like, yep. I Now that you say that, I totally hear it. And to hear that music and then when he has those moments sprinkle in that Lois and Clark theme, it is so damn triumphant. It 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 just it it is truly it's why you hire an orchestra. Like it it, it sounds awesome. And for me too, it it is totally just like emotional, but having that music under that moment where he he does the the killing shot theoretically. It is nothing but heroic for me, and it's it's what allows me, or it helps me allow the, it helps me kind of buy back the idea that like he's not trying to kill anybody here. He's trying to end it. He and again, he's just using the force that he needs to, that he's never had to before, to just stop this. It's not about killing the guy. Absolutely. Uh, is he upset that he's dead? Not at all. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a different conversation and as he's as he's going to carry nor out the you know nor's minions arrive in violation of the rules of combat that right were yes there must only be the two of them yeah. but then they got hit by this kryptonite gas and uh, all die except except clark because the others absorbed enough of the gas which is like all right we'll we'll go with that <laughs> whatever we'll go with that that's fine as lois and jimmy are running in they're like you guys probably shouldn't be breathing this either i don't yeah this is really bad this really messed up lex's hand in some versions of this you know yeah, it's like this still, you guys, because I feel like didn't yeah, they just like, radioactive. I feel like they took like poison gas to begin with and laced it with kryptonite. So it's like yeah, uh, very this, possible. This, yeah, this isn't good. But, you know, they're they're all right. I, when we talked about Krypton, I kept coming back to this idea that that show was better than it, than it had any right to be. It's like this you know, little mm-hmm. sci fi series. Uh, My favorite you know, type of show. Yep. Exactly. And it gives us, the Krypton show gives us like the best, the best Brainiac we've ever gotten. One of the best Zods, one of the best Doomsdays. And kind of continuing that theme here, it's like, we love Lois and Clark, but look for a a, a 90s ABC rom-com version of the Superman legend. This four-parter is better than it has any right to be. Like they really went for it. And I, I just had such a great time and I had an even better time talking about it. I'm so glad. Not that I thought you like hated it when you asked me to be on this episode that you like completely curated and, and made up your mind for. But it 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 it's cool to me that as someone who is 
much more learned in the Superman mythos than I am, that you can look at this and be like, oh, no, 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 this still has its place in that in that pantheon of these stories. That's very cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really had such a great time with it. Is there anything... I mean, we went for two hours and I think we, I think we hit on it a little bit. Was there anything we didn't talk about? A breezy about? two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel, uh, for speaking for myself, it didn't feel like two hours. So no, I, <laughs> I always feel like I'm talking too much on these. So it's all on anyone's podcast that I'm guesting on. So this is, this has been great, man. Thank you. Is there anything we didn't talk about with respect to new Krypton that you wanted to? Not with respect to these, just that like, if anyone knows how the show ends, spoilers, the, there's a very good chance that they would have dipped back into this in a season five that didn't happen. And I, that is personally something I'd be very interested in seeing. It's another big moment in their lives without being too spoilery though. Again, it's I know okay. Your audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like if, if the baby that was given to them in the finale winds up being connected, if it's like Zara and Jing's baby that gets sent away to, keep the uh, the the air of the house safe or whatever that's really cool to me and something i would have loved to have seen um and i love that this show clearly they kind of recognized like this was something that we could have dealt with again in the future um so it, for me it's just like i think they did a great job here and as ever though the show totally peters out at the end of season 4 and i completely understand why it got canceled. I would have loved to have seen them dip back into this well and see what that could have been. Would it have been as grand and great as this? Maybe not. So maybe we're lucky that we got what it was, but I'll, I'll always be curious about what they would have done with the rest of this. Me too. And it is the potential for, for where they were going is a, is a compelling reason for not putting the genie back in the bottle. Cause Mm-hmm. Now, do we get the sense, how many people do we think were on that ship? Like, we don't think that was all of New Krypton, or, or do we? I don't think so, no. I think that's that's the, uh, you know, the the nine to fives are back on the hunk of meteor or whatever that they're living on. Fair enough. Oh, what I was going to say, though, is like, hypothetically, let's say they all were on this ship, like that they're this colony of a thousand. I mean, you figure by this point now they, they've grown. But like, let's just say, for argument's sake, everyone or virtually everyone was on this ship. Sure. You could see a scenario where the military launches a strike on the ship at the end and they're all killed. And so now it's like, well, not only is there you know nowhere for him to go, but like these other Kryptonians are now off the board. Sure. Uh, I mean, again, I'm oh, glad. dark. It, yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far ahead or spoil anything, but that new Krypton saga in the comics, new Krypton doesn't stick around after that. <laughs> we'll just uh, this, put it that right. way. Yeah, and yeah. there General Sam Lane does play a critical role in that. Mm-hmm. So I guess I kind of had that in my head as well. I mean, that would have been super dark. I mean, that would have been an awful note. I was going to say, out. I don't think this show's <laughs> Superman would let that happen. <laughs> you know? No, I know. I get you. Can I throw out another just thought that is, is always very funny to me where like at the end of this, the whole thing is he left new Krypton or excuse me. He left earth to go help new Krypton because without his marriage to Zara, it would have fallen to hell. Zara marries him. And then he gets scattered to the winds and then is forced to marry Lord Nor. Lord Nor dies. And then from then on, Clark is like, great, Zara's got this. So like, I love the, the convenience of the death here where it's like, it actually buys us out of Clark's commitment here, 
where it's like he has been, you know, legally disgraced or whatever by Krypton, though everyone that's got a brain knows what happened. And now Zara gets to be kind of a free agent and rule the way that she needs to with with her love, the ever-changing Lieutenant Chang by her side. Like that is so clean and TV to me in the best way that I think it, it's worth commenting on. I think it's impressive. Yeah, it it works. It works because it's like that. You know, that's the thing. It's like it's not just that you know this this marriage has been arranged and all of that, but it's that the threat of Norse. And once you take that away, yes. and you also feel like he has made his point to these people. He has proven himself in this way, and he has saved the everybody. Jerk. And now yeah. it's like, look, you guys can can figure this out. Oh, Kella, yeah, on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so no, that that works. And you know, we end with Lois and Clark, uh, you know, on the balcony. Uh, once again, talking about getting married and and what they mean to each other and going at it yep. and not still not consummating their relationship, even though yet again, as we're pulling away on this balcony, it's like, come on. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I do love the, the again, they're just so damn good together. Just the idea of like, we're not waiting for anything else stupid to happen to us. Basically, like, let's get married this week. And that's. Essentially, what happens in the next episode, though, of course, the the wedding ruiner or whatever, the wedding wrecker, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Myrtle Beach, uh, shows up and and gives them a little run for their money. But now, look, you, I, always, I love the sentiment at least. Me too. And you always feel their longing for one another, when whether they're in the same scene or they're apart. You really feel yep. like these two just want each other. And I don't mean just sexually, although I do, but but more than that, right? This this connection that they have. Uh, really, it comes across so much so that when Clark leaves at the end of season three, he seemingly, even though she's not Kryptonian, seemingly is able to communicate via telepathy. A little bit, Send a little something yeah. to him. Not the first time in the series that they've had a little magical realism with their connection, which for this show, I think is totally valid and fine. Look, they're going to get married by an angel in the, in the next episode. Oh, so it's oh, like, man. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> But listen, man, I, I really, I had so much fun talking about this. So I thank you. I hope everyone checks out uh, Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman and always hold on to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. You can get both shows on all major podcast platforms and follow on social media. Anything else you want to plug or anywhere specifically you want to direct people? No, just, it, it, I I told you off mic about it and uh, hopefully it comes true. I, I'm scheduled right now from like my most exciting interview of Lois and Clark ever for me, aside from Kay Callan, to be clear. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to a guest that I'm about to talk to in a few days. So as long as that comes through, there's some really cool Lois and Clark um, Clark to talk coming up soon. Uh, and also we've got a special um, Black Friday episode coming where some friends of this show uh, and my own show, some real nerds, get into the weeds with some uh, toys and, and uh, DC merch. So, so keep an eye out for that stuff. Fair. Look, I love how, even though you had a series finale for Lois and Clark, you're still, you you're still getting, I love it. No, I love it. I love it. I just did a, the series finale of one of my other podcasts, my comic shop history and the running joke, even throughout that recording was when's the next finale going to be? Cause yeah. I've had various <laughs> finales of that show over the, but I'm like, no, like this is really the last one. And it is, but uh, I love that for you. You're still going and still, you know, sharing the love for this show. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that, 
I mean, I would imagine, you know, we have you here. We probably have some people who, who enjoy Lois and Clark who maybe don't listen to this podcast regularly who have come here because you're here because we're talking about Lois and Clark. So I welcome anyone who's, who's joining us. And I Oh hope- my God, yes. If, if anyone is listening to me that has any, that my opinion matters to you at all, which sorry, but um, yeah, Anthony's show is phenomenal and a great, um, if you have, if you've missed corners of the the Superman mythos and DC universe. It is a wonderful way to kind of fill in the blanks. And like, frankly, you've gotten me to go back and look at stuff that I hadn't seen before. Um, just by the way that you cover stuff and even like in episodes that don't matter. And it's like a little offhand mention. Like I, I, I love how deep you get into it and you have such a good grasp on the different versions of it. And you talk to people that, that, that have even more information than you. Like the, Truly, it sounds like I'm just blowing smoke up your ass, but like I love how you've structured this podcast and you've really made it your own thing. Where, like, for me, when I started podcasting, it was just like a rewatch podcast. That's what you do. You blah, 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 blah. And you have found a way to really engage kind of all corners of your fandom for this character and and make that a show that you that you want it to be, presumably. It's a wonderful thing, dude. It's been so fun to see um your show evolve over the last couple of years. Oh, that's very kind. I appreciate that. We got to get you on here more often. I mean, it is great. Oh, no, sorry. No, <laughs> no, the, I'm this. genuinely a fan of your show. So th- no, I, this has been fun, man. I, I appreciate it. And likewise, and I hope everyone checks out your podcast. And, and, and again, thank you again for coming on here. Thank you, audience. I hope you enjoyed. And make sure you keep tuning in. We still have two more installments of Doomed Planet. So come back next week for our next all new episode. Until then, it's about what you do. It's about action. This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.